This is Central Control Room. Stand by. Tim. Hey, yes, Derek. Hey, you know, just because we're labeled a movie podcast, we can sometimes switch it up. Yeah, you know, um, I think we even say somewhere in our thing, movies and TV, and today is going to be about TV. Oh, man. What show is this? Transmissions from the Forbidden Planet. That's right. You're Tim. I'm Derek. And this is our podcast. Which is today about TV shows. What kind of TV shows? Uh, high concept, shitty TV shows. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, they're TV shows that have this really elaborate premise. Right. Usually harping off the success of other high concept TV shows or movies or movies and then uh, trying to make TV shows out of them and uh, they suck right most of them only last a season or so I had a whole bunch in my memory that I had listed and you had a few that you threw in too and uh, boy we found some doozies didn't we 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 found a list and somehow found the uh, episodes to back our memory up and our memory is not as strong as we thought it was (laughs) yeah because a lot of these shows man I thought I loved as a little kid and you know you rewatch them for the first time and a lot of this stuff's from the early 80s some of the stuff's from the 90s but right. 40 years ago <laughs> I was an idiot how many <laughs> moons ago was that Tim? <laughs> yeah oh I can't do math <laughs> math is the enemy alright well then let's take the foil off of our TV dinners and dig into tonight's feature presentation An example, let's say, of a popular one that was a big hit, it was a high-concept show, and had a high budget would be Knight Rider, right? Yeah. Everybody knows Knight Rider, Michael Michael Knight. Knight. Mm -hmm. The Black Trans Am, which at the time, that was 1982, that was right when that third-generation Firebird had come out, you know what I mean? Right. Uh, and replacing the turtle-shaped one from the 70s or, or, or the one we know from Smokey and the Bandit. That probably didn't hurt that show much that Smokey and the Bandits was a big hit and also that Smokey and the Bandit 3 had not come out yet. <laughs> <laughs> so if you think the first two go-rounds was something, you just watch my smoke this time. <laughs> Some bitch. Which also had a third-generation Trans Am 
So, yeah, uh, so there was a lot of shows that harped off of the success of Knight Rider. And one of the first ones we're going to talk about was a motorcycle variant called <laughs> Street Hawk. This is Jesse Mock, an ex-motorcycle cop injured in the line of duty. Now a police troubleshooter. He's been recruited for a top-secret government mission to ride Street Hawk, an all-terrain attack motorcycle designed to fight urban crime, capable of incredible speeds up to 300 miles an hour, and immense firepower. Only one man, federal agent Norman Tuttle, knows Jesse Mock's true identity. The man, the machine. Yeah, I remember when this hit the TVs and I was super fucking excited. Yeah, I remember seeing the spots for it. Anything that was kind of a weird vehicle with some yeah. guy seeking vengeance or yeah. fighting crime, catching bad guys. It hit so close to home for me with comic yeah. booky stuff that right. I was like, well, I'm watching that. That's yep. an instant, instant go-to. Yeah, this came out in 1985 and it ran for one season. <laughs> no way. And, and it was a pilot season, too, so it wasn't a full 22 episodes. It was right. only like six, seven, ten episodes or whatever. Right. Starring Rex Smith, yeah. Jenny Wilson, Richard Venture, and Joe Regalbuto or whatever that is. <laughs> yeah. And one of the guys, I remember years later when Murphy Brown, the t- the, the sitcom, came out. Right. Uh, he was the, the guy who runs the computers and invented the bike. Yeah, that actor was uh, like Murphy Brown's best friend in that show. And I was like, hey, that's the Street Hawk guy. <laughs> you know, whatever that was in the late 80s, early 90s. I don't remember when right, yeah, Murphy, yeah, Murphy Brown, Brown came yeah. out. But um, I didn't know that then because that show hadn't come out yet. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, the pilot episode, right? It, uh, you watched it? Did you watch? Did you rewatch it? I did. I did. I rewatched it. Yeah. So I remember when I first saw it back in the day and loving it, and yeah. and in my memory before we watched it, remembering, oh man, it was wall to wall action and action right. <laughs> That's the thing about a lot of these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You remember them being like, whoa, this is nonstop. And I think what happens there is at your kid brain. Yeah. All it retains is action stuff and all right. the stuff that we couldn't care less about, which is all yep. the talking parts in between, we spit out. Right. Yeah, because watching the pilot was a slog. Yeah. <laughs> it was really slow. Yep. And the Rex, was it Rex Hamilton? What's his name? Rex yeah. Harrison? Uh, Rex Smith. Rex Smith? All right. Yeah. Yeah, Rex Smith is like a cop, a motorcycle cop who's also a daredevil and Yes, the motorcycle's highly advanced, yada, 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 in 1985 terms of highly advanced. It does not talk like Knight Rider did. It right. Doesn't, or Kit, I should say, like Kit. Right. You know. I am the voice of Knight Industry 2000's microprocessor, K-I-T-T for easy reference. A kit, if you prefer. It, it just had, like, you know, could do the super fast shit, and it could jump out of nowhere and had right. rockets on it and all that kind of stuff. And right. Like, targeting computers and all that kind of shit. Of course. It was like uh, Firefox on a motorcycle. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That could have been another one of the... An inspiration, yeah. Could have been one of the inspirations, but... um, Totally. Yeah, the bike itself, the bike they built it on was a... They, did, they had a few different bikes that they made it out of, but they were all dual sport bikes, which in today's world is very popular, right? That's, right. Dirt, dual sport bikes have pretty much replaced Harley Davidson's as far as, like, the cool motorcycle to have. So when you think of, like... 
those off-road kind of BMW bikes with the big metal saddlebag. Right. That's a dual sport in today's book. But back in the 80s, they were a little smaller and a little more uh, high-riding cruising motorcycles. And they basically just put like a race fairing on this thing, you know, right. to kind of make it look more sporty. And they painted it all black. And right. when you think performance, you think wide thick tires you know like going fast you know when you think of motorcycles today right and this this thing had that spindly little tiny like <laughs> two inch wide dirt ro dirt track tires on it you know it looks right. like if you the speeds that they're saying it's doing like 200 miles an hour <laughs> through la or whatever <laughs> those tires would have exploded and so would have the rider rex no, smith not for street hawk <laughs> this is a top secret government mission too. yeah i know you know, the, th the funny thing that struck me, too, is also it does a very comic booky thing, whereas it gives him a, a, a dual identity right. for yeah. the show. He has to right. be... Because he has that injury on the motorcycle, so right. I think the Murphy Brown guy gives him something for his leg, right? right. So that it, it, it makes the, the limping disappear. Right. So he can go in and out of that character. It's kind of like Clark Kent's glasses, right. you know? exactly. The, the limp, right? Right. Yeah, so they have that. The one thing I did notice when I went back and watched the pilot, and then I think I watched another episode, too, just to kind of get into it and everything. And the one thing that struck me, too, was the musical theme is done by Tangerine Dream. And if anyone knows Tangerine Dream from back in the day, it's, it's a real 80s right. synthy bite to it. Right, right. I mean, I think Ridley Scott used it. Tony Scott used it. I think mm -hmm. it was used in a lot of movies back then. Michael Mann used some of it. And uh, uh, William Freakin, I think, for uh, Sorcerer and stuff like that. So they're a really noticeable sound for the 80s. So if you if you grew up in the 80s, it, yeah. it's very nostalgic sound. Yeah, you know, like how Drive kind of does that. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, totally, yeah. Again, it was one of those short-lived things. A lot of these shows I remember being so fucking excited for and right. then they just disappear because they they got canceled and they don't you know it's not like it's big news or anything right and you're waiting you're like like a couple years pass and you're like hey what the hell ever happened to street hawk right <laughs> i love that show why isn't that on right. anymore or you realize it's gone you're not being able to watch it anymore and you're really right. bummed and you're like why yeah. why is life so horrible to me <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then you grow what up a... and watch it as an adult and you're like oh this is why yeah, because it's yeah. fucking terrible <laughs> and boring <laughs> and really yeah. unbelievable. I'm watching a lot of these, but yeah, I'm re-watching this one. And then, I, as I said, I think I watched the second one just because I was glutton for punishment. And, right, right. And I was just like, man, it takes them forever to get to Street Hawk. And you can tell they're biding their time to save on that budget. Yeah. Man. We also have to remember, too, is that time period was definitely slower storytelling most oh, of yeah. the time anyway you know it, just stuff is so much more faster paced these days oh yeah that's why so. i mean you know back then even if you switch over to something real quick like i'm talking about like from my my love is like the superman movie superman doesn't show up in superman the movie the original one until about right. 52 minutes in right right because you got to go through the deal. whole yeah. growing up thing and right yeah 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 i don't i don't really have much more to say on it do you no, no, no. This is it's not. There's not a lot on um, um, a lot of these that we're gonna linger on for a lot. We're just kind of no. shooting past them and kind of in remembrance of and right and calling attention to if you guys out there want to be glutton for punishment and be bored, <laughs> yeah. you guys can you go can... watch it too. Yeah, there's not a lot of meat on these bones to be no. picking. No. no. Hyperthrust cleared and counting. Five, four, three, 
So we'll flip into the next one, which from this a little earlier came out a few years earlier. It was called Auto Man <laughs> from 1983. This is the true story of Walter Nebaker doing what he likes best, fighting crime in the streets. You see, Walter's a policeman. Unfortunately, the chief doesn't want Walter on the streets. So Walter must fight crime in his own way in the computer room. That's where he's an expert. Fortunately for me, Walter's advanced knowledge of electronics led him to experiment with what is called a hologram. That's a very fancy word for a three-dimensional picture that, when perfected, can be made to look real, sound real. As a matter of fact, given enough power, it can even be made to feel real. That's kind of what got me into this world. My name is Auto Man. And uh, this was a Tron ripoff. Uh, <laughs> we talk about how in our in our Outrageous Action show from last season uh, that Tron was not a very big success and that right. actually the arcade game was more popular than the movie ever was. Oh, yeah. But uh, there was this particular relatively popular TV producer his name get used to this name folks because we're going to talk about him a lot his name is glenn a larson apparently somewhere in the guild there's another glenn larson so he's glenn a larson <laughs> and uh yeah he, he put up a handful of these shows we're going to talk about today and some of the other shows that we're not going to talk about well we'll, we'll mention but they're that were pretty popular right yeah um but he had a string of goofy ass shit where he would basically take a popular concept and then right. rebrand it for himself. And this Auto Man is a version of like, okay, we have that Tron movie that came out a couple years ago with Jeff Bridges. Let's let's bring that to TV, but we'll flip it around instead of the Jeff Bridges going into the computer right. and living in the computer world. We'll have the computer guy come out of the thing right. and live amongst us, right? Live amongst us and fight our crime, right? Yeah. And, and you can tell you can tell the hubris is coming in here because I mean I'm sure being in the business he knew, yeah hey, you know Tron yeah. wasn't a big hit but people people seem the people who liked it seem to respond to it and I can probably take what they did and make it better. Yeah, you know what I mean. Exactly that and then there there was something about the look of Tron that oh, kind yeah. of that did, did strike people at the time I think. Because it was so futury and the way yeah. they did the the highlighting lines, because that's a lot of what they do in this TV show yeah. is uh, the guy, the the computer guy that comes out, uh, Auto Man. <laughs> right. He's wearing this like outfit that they have this visual effect on it, so where it glows in this blue way, and it's kind of always um, kind of morphing and changing and all that right. stuff. And then he can create. He, there's this little. It's they literally call it cursor, and it's almost as if there's like a. You know, like the little arrow on your right. computer, but it's a it's a bright light that flies around in three dimensions, and that cursor can turn into the autocopter, the auto car, and all <laughs> right. these different things. Now, I will say this for Auto Man, that's really fucking cool, and yeah. me being me being a car guy, right? The car that he turns into is a fucking Lamborghini Countach, and it's not a fake one. It's a right. they literally had a real Lamborghini Countach, wow. and it was it was all jet blacked out, and they had the you know like like a Tron type thing. It was all outlined in this you know bright 
uh, iridescent line piping on it. So it looked right. pretty cool, you know. And, and of course, when they drove through the streets, Auto Man could drive through the streets. And the cop uh, computer guy that invented Auto Man is played by Desi Arnaz Jr. For anybody right. who probably doesn't know this, it's probably not our age, but he's the son of uh, Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz. Lucy, why don't you answer me? That's nice, dear. <laughs> Ricky and Lucy. <laughs> Ricky and Lucy. I love Lucy's fame. Right. Yeah. So he. This was like his big TV break. I guess was being on Auto Man. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's fun. And the thing is, is like uh, the, the you know when you see the Lamborghini cruising down the street, you know they did the thing like the Tron cycles do, where it does ninety degree turns right. and all this stuff. And they had this, but it was a real car, and they did it all with like a visual like camera tricks. You know right, what I mean? Right. Versus Tron, it was all digital right. uh, effects and stuff. Exactly. Um, so yeah, and here's the thing too: you have to put it in perspective because we're talking right now that this show is uh, from '83 to '84 is when it's running. You know, Tron yeah. comes out in '82. This right. hits '83, so he's right nipping at the heels of Tron. Well, yeah. And the other thing that's happening right now is that the video game technology is starting to boom. And by boom, I mean Pac-Man, Donkey Kong, all of that kind of stuff. This is past when we were wowed by Pong. Right. <laughs> right. Oh, know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Because the home consoles are starting to show up. The, right. uh, the Ataris and the uh, Intellivision, which, of course, right. I had the Intellivision. I didn't have Atari. Right. When it comes to space games, nobody compares to Atari. Excuse me. Have you compared them to Intellivision? Intellivision? Sure, they've got great space games, like Intellivision Space Battle. I didn't know. But there's still, at this time, was the mall arcades. Oh, or yes. Huge. The, the, yeah, the, you would go and wait in line to play specific games and yeah. stuff like that, you know, with the, the stand-up machines you drop your quarters in. Right, and that's where a lot of us was standing in line to play Tron in 82. Yeah, <laughs> All yeah, the way into right. 83, probably. Yeah, Tron was, the Tron game was cool because there was different games yeah. within the game, you know what I mean? Yeah. It wasn't just nope. one thing. Yeah, yeah you, didn't, you didn't have to beat a level to get to the next thing. You could actually choose your adventure on Tron, which right, was really right. awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, this show's pretty cheeseball. And the guy who plays Auto Man, Chuck Wagner, oh, right. man. It's funny, as I watched the documentary on the show, I couldn't, I couldn't, you found one, but I couldn't find a copy of the actual show on YouTube or anything. Yeah. So I ended up watching a documentary, which was a retrospective with the three main actors, uh, Desi right. Arnaz, Chuck Wagner, and the woman in TV series. Right. And it was, it was recorded somewhere around 2012. So, uh, it wasn't that, that long ago. And, um... This 10 years I, ago or so. Yeah, right. Ten, yeah. And and the Chuck Wagner guy, you think when you watch the Auto Man show, you think he's putting himself on a little bit. And yeah, like, yeah. Like he's he's putting on a character because he seems really kind of right. Broadway. You know, there's, yeah. there's a certain sort of like theater nerd yeah. thing about he, him. And he's a big guy, too. He's like six foot three. and Right broad-chested guy but yeah. then i saw him in this documentary and it's in 2012 like for the 35 years later and i'm like oh no that he's just that's him that's just who he is he's a fucking nerd <laughs> and then desi arnest jr what does he look like now oh my god i didn't even recognize him he's like all bald and gray-haired and skinny and and yeah he looked like he'd done crack for a few years 
but <laughs> yeah, he did. I like. I literally. They were like showing scenes from the documentary of, of Desi Arnaz and Junior in 2012, right. backed with pictures of him from the original show. And I'm like, that's not the same guy. <laughs> yeah, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> yeah, who the fuck is this guy? I don't even recognize him. <laughs> no way, Jose. Yeah, but anyway, um, I mean, what did you think of the show? What I will say that's fun about... Not, in a parody kind of in, fun. Yeah, in a parody kind of way. And also as a kid yeah. of this time watching this show, what they do is they reference Auto Man, being that he's coming from the computer world, and he he fights villains from that few, that computer world. They reference that one of his villains is like... Donkey Kong and stuff like that. So they're <laughs> oh, directly catering to kids to, who play yeah, those games because a kid, if I were in 84, 85 ish, yeah. you know, yeah. I'm going to be around six, seven maybe. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to be like, whoa, he <laughs> fought Donkey Kong. That's going to be a big <laughs> deal for a kid. So you can right. see they're kind of swinging for kids and hoping adults will kind of fall along. And then watching the show, it, it's, it's hyper corny. Yeah. Really all over the place in tone, but it's um, clever. It's very right. clever yeah. how they handle yeah. things and, and right. economical how taking on something like Tron, which was a huge feat for a huge company like Walt, right. uh, Walt Disney. Yeah. And a small TV company taking on something of this kind of ambitious nature. They did a good job. And what they did was they ripped off a lot of the glowy suits that Auto Man is wearing. They yeah. basically just took what they did with the glowing suits from the Krypton scenes from Superman. Right. Because that's just a reflective right. cloth material. That he's yeah. And they shine right. a light on it and the the camera actually picks up. Right. That reflectiveness. So that's smart. That's a neat, yeah. nice way to go around it, having to, to digitize all of that stuff. But at the same time, though, having this Lamborghini and having this helicopter and all this shit, this, the show costs, I think they were saying in the in the uh, documentary, the show costs like uh, almost a million dollars an episode right. back in 1983, which that's is, that's insane. Huge. He that's said it was huge. the most, most expensive show made at the time. Right. And so, even if it what had been a success, uh, and right. I, I don't think I don't think it was panned that much. I think it was a little bit of both. I think it was just people were like, whatever, yeah, it's kind of cool, but right. it wasn't a huge flop like say Street Hawk was. Right. I, I just think the, the the network was like, oh fuck this, we're not spending this much money on this show. Right. It's not that popular, you know. Right. So they did. Uh, it only ran for one season. They yeah. They shot. 13 episodes they only yeah. aired 12 and then right. it was canceled because right. <laughs> because it went up against a popular show scarecrow and mrs king and <laughs> lost out like, to scarecrow that's and mrs king. hilarious yeah, yeah because that's like a sleepy time old people show <laughs> it's adults right yeah 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 so i guess before we move on from here we'll talk a little bit about glenn larson um right as as a tv producer glenn a larson that is glenn a larson yeah, like I said, he's going to come up in a few other shows we're going to talk about. But he did have some hits. and Yes. Um, it's impressive if you grew up in the 80s to hear yeah. some of these that came out that I remember watching. Not maybe when they were first new, but in retrospect on syndication and stuff. But a lot of these were either stuff that I was really into or my mom was really into. And then I watched along, you know. Mm -hmm. I'd say probably the most popular one is magnum pi and and yeah 
and the Fall Guy. I mean, the Fall Guy doesn't quite have the following. Magnum PI still is in the Zeitgeist today. Right. Yeah. Because you know, but uh, the Fall but Guy. I think they're Fall Guy I was, movie I was now, just gonna so say they're it, they're making a Fall Guy movie, right. so that will come back into the Zeitgeist. Right. But it disappeared for a long time. Well, I'm not the kind to kiss and tell, but I've been seen with Farrah. But yeah, he's responsible for stuff like 1966, The Fugitive Show, which went on to become the Harrison Ford movie. Right. That and was a huge TV show. Huge show. Really popular. Six Million Dollar Man, which right. we've talked about go. a few times on the show before. Lee Majors plays the Six Million Dollar Man and the Fall Guy. And the Fall Guy, right. right. So apparently so. Glenn liked working with Lee Majors. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, Quincy M.M.E., that was a huge show, a too. Huge show. My mom watched that, and for some reason, I was really into it. I'm like, oh, that's the odd couple guy. <laughs> guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Why right. is he solving murders? <laughs> right. <laughs> Battlestar Galactica, which was Glenn A. Larson's way of saying, hey, this Star Wars thing is... Exactly. Right. That's what I was, I was just about to... So sit, let's take a break there real quick and just say... The idea that we were talking about where he's ripping off other concepts, like, you right. know, Auto Man is taken from Tron. It starts with Battlestar Galactica. Right. Being like, let's immediately make a TV show based on Star Wars, and 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 that was a huge product, high concept show, and it also didn't do well. It lasted like, I think, two seasons. Right. And, yeah. Um, and it came out seventy eight. When did Star Wars come out? Yeah, seventy seven. <laughs> right. Yeah. So he's jumping on that bandwagon, you know. Right. But go ahead. What else did he do? He did a popular one uh, called BJ and the Bear, which ran for three seasons. Yeah. And uh, that went 79 to 81. I remember that. That was a, a if you ever remember the show uh, My Two Dads with Paul Reiser. Right. The other dad was BJ from okay. BJ and the Bear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was about a, tr- a semi truck driver who had a friend, his best friend was a chimpanzee. So. Right. It was kind of, it, it's a ripoff of, uh, Any which way, way but loose. Every which way but loose. But on that, it was an orangutan, which we will we'll have another connection to that in a little bit. <laughs> yeah, but it'll come back again. A Clint Eastwood comedy where he's kind of like a rednecky uh, street fighter guy right. uh, whose best friend is an orangutan. <laughs> right, right, right. And this, it was a hugely successful movie and uh right. obviously their that tv show was riding on that but oh yeah and then uh 1980s when he hits his big one magnum pi right that went from 80 to 88 wow the fall guy in 81 right here's another big one simon and simon i remember that being oh that was a huge show day. yeah right so Knight that Rider was a in 82 one. along yeah, with simon and simon Right, so Glenn Larson is responsible for Knight Rider. Yeah. But not so, Street Hawk. That brings a lot of his really well-known earlier ones, and then we'll start talking about his lesser-known ones, as we already did one with Otto yeah. Man from 83. You know what I was just thinking, though? Since Glenn A. Larson was uh, the producer on Magnum P.I., I think we can uh, hold him responsible for uh, Harrison Ford being uh, <laughs> uh, Indiana Jones. So we owe him a debt. We owe him a debt, even though he's given us a lot of terrible TV shows. He <laughs> we would not let his kids, though. We, yeah, we, he would not let uh, <laughs> he would not let Tom Selleck out of his contract to do uh, Indiana Jones. So right. So Harrison Ford owes Tom Selleck a big debt <laughs> of gratitude. Yeah. So the next one we're, we're going to talk about is another Glenn A. Larson project, and it was <laughs> it was called The Highwayman. There is a world 
just beyond now, where reality rides a razor-thin seam between fact and possibility, where the laws of the present collide with the crimes of tomorrow. Patrolling these vast outlands is a new breed of lawman, guarding the fringes of society's frontiers. They are known simply as highwaymen. And this is their story. This is a really high concept show. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of like riding on a little bit of the Road Warrior. It's yeah. in a n- not so distant future. Yeah. And it's a little bit of some other things, but it has a definite Road Warrior vibe because the highway man, right? He's a guy right. who's always on the highway. But so this of uh, Flash Gordon fame, this <laughs> and and uh, the movie, the Ted movies. Uh, <laughs> it starred uh, Sam Jones uh, as the highway man, uh, who right. who was like a. Um, it was this weird, elite, covert police force. Right. Death to me. I remember when this came out. This was this was a little later. This was '87. Yeah. I, yeah, I kind of remember. I was in junior high at this point, I think, and I remember waiting to get picked up to go to a party. But this was on, and I was like, "Ooh, this is cool!" You know. <laughs> Sam Jones is kind of dressed up a little bit like Mac Mel Gibson with the leather jacket and all right. that stuff. And 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 the the high concept part is the semi truck he drives. Right, right. He drives this futuristic semi truck that has this kind of bubble canopy in the front. And right. What we come to find out later, and it has all kinds of abilities like a visible mode and all this bullshit. And um, but what we find out is the canop the this canopy looking thing is actually a. A helicopter so like right. the uh, trailer would open up and then the the props would swing out and then he wouldn't even have to change seats he's sitting in the pilot seat already right. as the truck driver's seat right. and uh, he would go and for whatever reason he would fly a helicopter around to solve crime as well I uh, I can imagine pitching that to an extremely coked up boardroom <laughs> and then yeah. just going holy shit this is genius now this is in 87 he's pitching yeah. this probably in 86 Mad Max beyond on Thunderdome comes out in 85. Yeah, He's nipping right. the heels again. <laughs> right, right. That's true. Yeah, so um, I know we. I watched the pilot, didn't you? Yeah, it's uh, one of those uh, TV shows that just takes forever to get anywhere. Yeah. And, and so I was just like, is anything going to happen? Like, how did they sell this show and then air this as the pilot and expect it to be like, wow, this is. It's not. I didn't find it personally engaging. Right. Uh, I had no history with this show. I don't remember it from the time for some reason. This would have yeah. been right up my alley as a kid. Right, right. But yeah. I, somehow I missed the boat on this one. No, I definitely remember watching the first two couple episodes. Because I don't remember the first one as much. Because the later one, they changed, after the first episode, they changed the entire cast except for Sam Jones. Right. Um, yeah, because it says it's a pilot plus nine episodes. That's the length of the how long right. the series ran. Yeah, in the pilot episode, it's like a motorcycle gang or something like that, and they're like killers and stuff. I know Roddy Roddy Piper is one of the gang members. Oh yes, and Jimmy Smith is the uh, is the, <laughs> right. the like the antagonist protagonist guy with his right. son and all this stuff. Yeah, right. it's it's the, it's like a really sleepy episode. Right. But what I do remember in the following episodes is they, like I said, they changed the whole cast and then there's other highwaymen. And one of the ones they use now, any kid of the 80s might remember this uh, Jocko character from uh, Australia who was doing Energizer commercials. Oh, right. In one of these.
He was like a, um, I think he was a rugby player or something like that from Australia. And he had a very kind of homely, one of those very quintessential Australian faces, you know, with yeah. a really strong nose. Right. So he becomes, he's one of the other highwaymen, right? That fits. That fits. And he, he had his own unique truck. You know, it was different. He uh, apparently, from what I read, he had the same truck as the Sam Jones highwayman and it gets blown up in the first episode or whatever. Right. So then they replace it with this extra kind of cool looking one that he right. had. And, and uh, yeah, that thing actually just popped up somewhere. Uh, I saw in one of my car guy things where uh, somebody found it and uh, uncovered it and was trying to sell it or wow. restore it or something. That The, the Jocko one, not the... Uh, not the main one. Not the main one, yeah. Yeah, because it says, too, that uh, the new truck can operate in stealth mode and become yeah. invisible. Right. And it also conceals a sports car. A yeah, Lotus, Lotus Esprit. Yeah, that's right, because that's another big, high-concept, expensive car. So right. the Lotus Esprit, of any James Bond fans will know the Lotus Esprit from the Roger Moore era. Like the, the, from the Spy Who Loved Me, the one that turns into a submarine. And, but he right. had him in several of the movies. In, in, in um, For Your Eyes Only, he, has, he goes skiing with the one. Yeah, and yeah. It, ha it blows up when you try to break into it. You know, yeah, that, was yeah, a, yeah. that was a Lotus Esprit. Can you swim? It says, though, that's funny. It's like some of the uh, futuristic dashboard elements design that you see on the inside of that Lotus is actually reused from Knight Rider. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> right. All right. Well, uh, again, it, it, it only lasted a season, and it was one of those ones where I was like, hey, whatever happened to that Highwayman <laughs> show? And then it never came back. I really liked it. And right. I, you know, because Sam Jones in, in Flash Gordon had that, you know, bleach, bleach, blonde, platinum hair. Right. And in this show, he has his more natural black hair, and it's more in a crew, you know, like kind of like the Terminator, Arnold Schwarzenegger oh, kind of right. crew cut in the first, right. you know. I didn't, never would have put together it was the same guy. Oh, of course, yeah. Until when we watched the pilots a few weeks back or whatever, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> then I put it together that <laughs> right. it was Sam Jones. You and know it's, I mean? it's funny, too, because it says that... Uh, the original pilot aired in September 20th of 87, and then the show finally came back in March 4th of 1988. So they probably aired it, heard some responses back, and then yeah. tweaked it a little right. bit. Right. So that's yeah. another one of Glenn Larson's uh, ripoff. Oh, Glenn Larson. The Highwayman. So let's go to the next one, which we're going to jump way ahead by a decade. Uh, 1994, a TV show called Viper. <laughs> the Day After Tomorrow. A time when criminals rule the city. The only weapon that can stop them needs a driver. A man without a memory can be supplied with one. I've got a little cosmetic fine-tuning. He'll be our driver. Let's initiate changeover. Three, two, one, activate. The most wanted man on wheels is about to change sides. Now, against a corrupt system, a lone fight for justice. Viper is taking back the streets. Because what was the popular Dodge car that came out in the early 90s? Oh, the man. Viper. 
Yeah. <laughs> so they wanted to make a crime-fighting vehicle out of Viper. Did you you watch you you, you yeah. watched all of these, right? I watched so, the yeah, I watched yeah, the pilot on this one again. I yeah. remember seeing it back in the day though and thinking it was so freaking cool. Even in yeah. 94, you know, by even by 94 it was still tweaking on some of my uh fanboy loves back then yeah so the whole concept is is like there's the outfit is like this evil crime organization and right. this one particular guy is like their star getaway driver or something like that right it's funny you know be, because it's a dodge viper right the whole right. fucking thing is every goddamn car in this show right. is from a is from dodge every one of them yeah so they you, you almost kind of see where like they could have gotten the uh idea and the the original fast and furious with all the uh oh. everybody's in all black civics right right and they're doing a caper driving all black civics you know and because uh, in viper tv show the the pilot they're in all black dodge stealths and there's like five of them going around and and our hero is in one of them right you know, but he's a bad guy, right? In the, you know, he's a bad guy that kind of like Michael Knight, where right. uh, he gets in a car wreck doing a job, and then right. he loses his memory, and then this is a, a different. This is not Glenn A. Larson anymore. No. This is another TV no. producer ripping off Glenn yeah. A. Larson. <laughs> <in a laughs> yeah, way. right. Who's ripping? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. That's pretty funny. Yeah. So yeah, it's just again, it's this whole high concept thing of this. Uh, this guy had come up with this program for this stealth Viper car. Right. can look like a regular red viper from 1994 but then it turns into like this uh, combat mode or whatever where it has a full roof and and, right. and it's built by dodge like dodge actually right. built this concept vehicle on a dodge chassis on a viper chassis but they they stretched out the uh wheelbase on it and all that stuff so if you parked it next to a regular viper you'd be like well that looks weird something's off about it right, yeah, right. It, it, it it's shaped slightly different and all that stuff but the funny thing is is it didn't the actual, because they made like four or five of those uh, silver crime fighting versions of the Viper. Right. But they none of them had the V10 in it. They all had just regular little Dodge V8s inside of them, and they just pretended like it had the V10, the, the big famous Dodge V10, Viper V10 in there, which is kind of funny. But, right. What, I mean, what did you think of the show? It was really overacted, wasn't it? In rewatching it, I only watched the first episode again, but I remember at least watching. So here's the thing. I, I think I watched a good amount of the show back when it first aired, which was in 90, Four. 94. So in 94 when it said, but it, this says the series ran on NBC for one season in 1994 before uh, being revived two years later for three right. more seasons. Right. So it got canceled and then came back three years or two years later for three more seasons. So this thing ran four seasons, 78 episodes. Right. I know I did. I only saw probably a few of the first season episodes, and I remember as a kid liking it, but right. uh, it was a another one of those that was just a slog getting through. Right. Yeah. For the first episode. Yeah. There's this whole thing with the doctor who's like helping him with his rehabilitation, and and she falls in love with this guy within thirty fucking seconds. Yeah. And she's like professing her di undying love for him. It's like what? <laughs> so, how am I doing? Professionally speaking, I think you're doing quite well. Well, personally, I mean, you sure you want to get involved with a guy who can't remember his first kiss? Or his last lover? Or anything in between? And then, like, you know, he finds out his 
truth that he actually was a bad guy you right. know his his memory comes back or whatever and he's mad at her so they have a big fight you know right. about it and then he when he comes back to see her the outfit blows her up <laughs> right. she gets fucking killed and you're like oh <laughs> killed that bitch but th- that that obviously makes him want to stick at, stick it out as the crime right. fighter against right. the, the it gives people. him purpose yeah yeah, yeah it gives yeah. him purpose right? yeah you know on the rewatch it was like i said it was just another one that i i i was not having a whole lot of fun with uh it you know how with each decade passes, there's some remnants that mm-hmm. remains that still feels like the past decade. So like yeah. when 70s ends, you can still feel the 70s and a lot of things from yeah. 80 to about 82, 83, 84. Right. Right. This is how that felt. It still felt very 80s to me. It had mm-hmm. some modern things as far as modern to 94 that made it, you know, stand out a little bit better for that time but it still felt like a very 80s 80s yeah i agree i agree it did feel like that and and yeah it just like again as a car guy it's like there was no ford chevys toyotas nothing every fucking car and it's a car based show so they're on the road a lot every car was some sort of dodge product it's funny there's a note that says the series takes place in the near future the primary brand of vehicles driven in the show were chrysler or subsidiary vehicles from that company right which right. is like Mopar, basically. Cry- right. So back in those days, it would have been Chrysler, Dodge, uh, Plymouth, you know, right. and and, and uh, Jeep. So yeah, but uh, this one apparently had a, a a good run for a while, and it ended yeah. up having even reruns that appeared on Sci-Fi and USA Network. Oh, just you can tell the quality right there. Right, but I mean, the, just the fact that there's a year off in between the following seasons, you know, right. yeah. tells it still tells you. Yeah, something's not right there, and they're like, yeah, "Well, yeah. we spent a bunch of money on this shit. We we got to get our money back somehow." Right, right, right. And apparently, something happened because you know, four seasons of this, seventy-eight yeah. episodes. That's crazy. Right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, like I said, most of these ran for only one season. But we have a right. couple that did well, did a little better than that. This is one of them, and we'll get to the other one later. Right. Well, let's uh, let's shift gears off of car-related ones, and we'll yeah. head into space. Yeah, woo! But space. not just any kind of space. Space from 1978. That lingering feeling of magicalness right. that we still were feeling from 77 from the uh, Star Wars. Not me. I wasn't born yet, but. <laughs> well, but here's the thing. We just talked about Battlestar Galactica being in 1978, (laughs) Uh, and that's not what we're going to talk about. We're talking about another one, another Star Wars ripoff called Jason of Star Command. Danger hides in the star. This is the world of Jason of Star Command. A space-age soldier of fortune determined to stop the most sinister force in the universe. Dragos, master of the cosmos. Aiding Jason in his battle against evil is a talented team of experts, all working together in a secret section of Space Academy. Jason of Star Command. Oh, God. This this was a Saturday morning show, I believe. Right. And it was... It is terrible. It's like... Yeah. Um, it feels like it's being written down to, like, five-year-olds when yeah. you watch it. It, the one thing that, that you can tell that they're really going for, that they really sank their teeth into with this, though, was that they were like, well, you know, George Lucas said that he wrote Star Wars from those serials. Let's yeah. make an actual, you know, sci-fi right. serial show. And right. they do that. They have the, the leads, which is Craig Leader 
and Charlie Dell, but the yeah. villain right. is Sid Haig, who yeah. most people probably know from his later career in horror films. Right, well, a lot but, of Rob Zombie movies. Pretty right. much every Rob Zombie movie he's in. Right, right. Uh, but uh, yeah, wow. <laughs> wow, it was a rough. That was this was a hard watch, only because yeah. it's and it, somehow it, we managed to watch like seven episodes in a row. <laughs> we yeah, were just glutton for fun. I know, I know. Uh, yeah, I mean, it feels like you like you were saying. It does feel like it's in the more so than Star Wars does. Yeah. It like in the spirit of those old Buck Rogers or oh, uh, sure. uh, uh, Flash Gordon serials, right? But uh, you know, with the, the kind of cliffhangery thing going on in yeah. every episode, and uh, you know, getting into misadventures, their version of the little friend robot though is the <laughs> dumbest thing I've ever seen. It's called Wiki, Wiki, and it's yes. I can't remember what it stands for. It, but uh, it's literally I don't this these things were huge when I was a little kid uh, right. in the 70s these little right. wind up robot toys right that you would like twist the little thing up and it had two little legs that would just go they would they would like rotate in circles and the thing would walk across a table right right anybody from my era would remember these things yeah, yeah. that's literally what this thing was that's what it was yeah and they just kind of hide it on a string flying around all the right. time right and it could shoot lasers and get them out of absolutely any problem that they had <laughs> that's what i was gonna say if you watch this show you will realize that it would have been over in the first five minutes with everybody dead if it weren't yeah. for this little robot. And that right. continues on every five minutes. Yeah. The robot is pretty much doing everything <laughs> all the time. It's right. the hero. Jason can go fuck himself. Right. Yeah, the, vi the villain, all he had to do was just get rid of that robot and everyone else would fall to his yeah. whim. Yeah, right. Yeah, we'd be... Yeah, so basically they're basically looking at Star Wars and saying... We gotta have an R2-D2-like character. Right, And yeah. that's what they do. And and in the let's make money off of this thing way, I it, it's smart, I guess, the way that they take that existing little toy, make yeah. it their own, and then they can sell that. Right. If this thing is a big hit. Yeah, yeah, Re yeah. Yeah, repackage it. Yeah, it's pretty funny. And then it But the thing ran two seasons, 28 episodes. And, and uh, the you know, that... That secondary character who's like the professor or whatever. Oh, oh my God. He is yeah. so annoying. Yeah, it's... Uh... <laughs> it's like romper room kind of like humor. Where he's like, <laughs> you know, he's like just this goofy doctor and, and he's the comic relief. And it's, it, ugh, it's written terribly. Obviously, yeah. it's most of the shit from the 70s was anyway, you know. Right. You look at like Land of the Lost and all that kind of, and and our other favorite Bigfoot Wild Boy. <laughs> Out of the Great Northwest comes the legendary Bigfoot, who eight years ago saved a young child lost in the vast wilderness and raised that child until he grew up to be Wild Boy. You show me another Bigfoot that could chase off Martians <laughs> by throwing rocks near or at him, at them. <laughs> <laughs> over them. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. It, it's, it, I mean. It, this is one that we, I don't think we both ever watched until just no. looking up things. And I'd never even heard saying, of it. What is this? <laughs> I think, I think I remember when, when I came up, well, I think I was the one that came up with the idea for this episode. And yes, you were. And you, you instantly started 
Googling shit and you found it within like the first fucking five minutes of looking at shit and sent me a copy of it. And we both started watching it uh, like right then on YouTube and we're like, oh my Texting God. Texting each other back and forth as we're watching yeah. this. Can you believe this? The fucking robot did it again. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Wiki. Do your thing. Yeah, I will say though, um, it has that sort of campiness that oh, where yeah. it is kind of entertaining to watch in that yeah. campy kind of like uh, mystery science theater sort of way. Right. No, like when you start getting kind of fed up with it, it'll do something to tweak that kind of weird yeah. thing that we're talking about, and you'll right. just go, "Well, I guess I should see how this episode they get out of this." <laughs> right. One. Right. Oh, it's right. a robot again. <laughs> yeah, the little wiki did it again. Oh, it's pretty cool too with some of the, like really early '70s diversity because the yeah. princess that he rescues is a black lady, uh, right. and that that was pretty fucking rare when yeah. I was a little kid. You know, no, I mean, for sure, never... yeah, they, they are doing some stuff. And I will say, I, I, when watching it, even, I mean, there's no way this thing had a very high budget at all, right? But right. they were economical on some of the things they did. They have some flying spaceship things that I'm just like, wow, that's pretty impressive that they could. <laughs> it's do funny that. though, is the Drago, the bad guy played by Sid Haig, um, his ship, I don't understand what the fuck it was supposed to be, (laughs) but it kind of looked like a flying monkey wearing a vest. It had like a a monkey vest on or something. I'm like, why does this spaceship have fur? (laughs) I was cracking up. And it had like two arms coming out from underneath it. It's really cold in space. Everybody knows that. <laughs> you need a vest on that. You need a <laughs> you need a monkey hair vest. <laughs> I am Dragos, master of the cosmos, and soon I will rule the entire galaxy. Never. Star Command is the strongest force in the galaxy. I will allow no one to interfere with my plans for total conquest. Yeah, so from, uh, this is another, um... From ripping off one George Lucas George thing Lucas to movie. another. <laughs> yeah, to, exactly. You <laughs> took the words right out of my mouth. So this was another high-concept TV show from 1982 called Tales of the Golden Monkey. And I remember watching this back in 1982 with my mom. And I remember both me and my mom thought this show was awesome. (laughs) (laughs) And it's actually based, even though it is taking a lot from Raiders of the Lost Ark and Indiana Jones in some ways, in vibe. But there is like some other uh, series or movie or whatever from the 40s that no one would ever fucking know that it's actually copying. And it takes place in the South Pacific, and it's following this pilot who does, uh, you know, he has a seaplane, and he does, uh, he's like a, a pilot for hire kind of thing, and he gets Jake into Jake Cutter. Jake Cutter, right. Yes. He gets into misadventures, and he has his little one-eyed dog as his right. buddy. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, Set in 1938. Right. There you go. Right. Yep. Yeah. So that's where it kind of has that. Indiana Jones vibe. I wonder this... when Indiana Jones was set. Yeah, nineteen. <laughs> so this took place. This this show started in eighty two. Mm-hmm. Raiders comes out in eighty one. That's another one nipping the heels of a success. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you know it has uh, Stephen Collins is the main guy. Jeff McKay. Right. Yeah, this was one that I somehow saw 
in uh, syndication somewhere. Maybe TV I, land or yeah, something? Yeah, maybe somewhere in, in there because I remember seeing it as a kid, but I wasn't as young as to see it new. I remember right, being older. Right. It had to have been yeah. later on in years. And I remember even digging it then, like thinking, mm-hmm. like, oh, wow, this is like set in the Indiana Jones time, you know? Right, exactly. Right. Well, watching it now, yeah, it's fucking boring. Yeah. It's another one that's just like, god damn, they're taking their time to get anything done. Well, yeah, this is one of those ones, those TV shows that, I mean, a lot of kids shows at that time took forever to get to the point, but this one really, really... Uh, Hard to say, but... And you, re- um, you really feel the time passings where you're just like, come on, get to the point already. We're burning daylight <laughs> yeah. here, guys. I mean, And then even when they get to the point, you're like, oh, that's the point? Who oh, cares? this is it? That was the payoff? Yeah. This is lame. Yeah, it's kind of like a drinking, bar fighting kind of yeah. adventure, swashbuckling adventure kind of thing. And, you know, you get to the end of the episode, and you're just like, I wasted my time for this. I could have been watching Alan Quartermain one or two <laughs> right Ooh, this minute. Yeah. yeah, instead of <laughs> Indiana Jones. But, yeah. Yeah, so this is... Uh, it only went one season, had 22 episodes. Yeah. Um, I, I remember thinking, I remember my mom and I were laughing at it and thinking <laughs> it was so funny. <laughs> yes is rough. And no is rough, rough. Right? What do you mean no is rough? You know, another one of those ones. Well, what happened to Tales from the Golden Monkey? You know, it's probably <laughs> was one of those ones that was also too expensive to keep going. Oh, I would imagine. And, you know, it, I was just looking here, and in 83, in the Primetime Emmy Awards, it won an yeah. outs- outstanding art direction for the show, but was nominated for costume design, sound editing, sound mixing, and stuff oh, like that, wow. which is, is just crazy to me that uh, it did garner a lot of attention. So, yeah, it, it does, turns out, it's kind of like the Auto Man show, where... It's not popular enough to justify the cost right. of the show. So know. people are watching, people are enjoying, but not enough people are enjoying to... To, to, to justify the high cost, yeah. Because right. there's a lot of locations shooting, and you know they have to do like a lot of remote right. shots over the South Pacific. I guess that in stuff. that pers- per- perspective, I can definitely see mm-hmm. where the cost is going. But in watching for this show that we're doing right now and re-watching Auto Man and then yeah. re-watching this show, I can definitely see where the budget went yeah. on Auto Man more than right. I can this show. But this I guess show, in looking right. in perspective of where they're filming and stuff, yeah, it right. makes a little yeah. more sense. Because you don't want to do everything on a back lot for the show. Right. Or right. a green screen like you right. would Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to shift gears again and go into uh, what? I, it's a sitcom <laughs> question mark? <laughs> well, there's a I, laugh track to help yeah. you know when you're supposed to laugh. Well, yeah. yeah, so it's supposed to be funny. Right. And I, I remember this show getting all kinds of press when I was a kid. And I think I saw maybe one episode. And really? It was called Mr. Smith. I hate the promos, don't you? So if you'd like to hear more about my new show, Mr. Smith... Uh, call me at 1-900-40-SMITH, and uh, I'll tell you all about it. And uh, it came out in 1983, and it's about an orangutan, as we're, you know, going back to what we were talking about with Any Which Way But Loose. 
It's an orangutan who somehow gets into some kind of lab experiment and ends up with an IQ of 250, which is, if anybody knows, that's like double genius. And he he learns how to talk and all this stuff. And so it's basically about the people surrounding that that work for him. He's like running for office or he's a political advisor. That's what it is. Right. Mr. Right. Smith, the orangutan is a political advisor right. and he has a, he has His a staff Cha-Cha. or whatever. Cha- yeah. Well, originally it's Cha-Cha. originally Cha-Cha becomes Mr. Smith is eventually right. found and sent to the government research center and, and where he becomes a government advisor due to his high IQ. So I kind of remember watching this, you know, I, I remember it was like on a sleepover with friends or whatever back in 1983. I would have been 10 years old. Right. And kind of like one of those things, like we put it on and then within five minutes we're like uh, wrestling and playing with G.I. Joe's because it <laughs> right. was just not holding our attention <laughs> right. at all. And then it disappeared for, for, for my life for forever. Right. So I rewatched, I, I watched two episodes of okay. this. Right. And one of them was the one you watched, where they right. were uh, uh, the little girl is sick and goes to the hospital, yeah. and he go- ends up like leading some experimental operation because right. he's such a genius. Yeah. Right. So the one thing we can say about this show, yeah, is the they they go between a, a real orangutan, which believe it or not is the same orangutan actor from Any Which Way But Loose. Right. The same same orangutan that played Clyde back in 1978 or whatever that was right. is playing Mr. Smith in, in 1983. Right turn, Clyde. <laughs> when they're doing some of the close-ups sitting around talking to the other people, it's, a, it's an animatronic right. orangutan. And a really good one. Really good. But the thing yeah. is, is like, the you know the the quality of what we're watching it on it's too, it's not high def right. you know no, no, it's no. like 420 it's like minus 420p <laughs> yeah because it's so grainy from being right. recorded over and over again on right. on VCRs or whatever so at least from what you can tell from when you see it on YouTube you can barely tell that thing is a uh, an animatronic orangutan yeah. you know no, what i mean it's crazy like it's, yeah, it's it's really well done, actually. Yeah, no, yeah. So that that was definitely the high mark for that. I I never heard of this show until we started. You brought it up for this show, and yeah. then I looked up the episode, sent you them, and then I started watching it. And the funny thing that you said is that when I was watching my episode, uh, for some reason I started wrestling and playing with GI Joe's. In the middle <laughs> of the two, oh, like, really? Yeah, yeah. You got <laughs> bored with it? No, it, it was. I had a hard time keeping my interest in it. But like, I, it, once I started noticing that you watched it before I did, and yeah. then you said, you said the thing about the the puppet and animatronic thing, and so that caught my interest, and I was lo- I was really watching just to see that. And it is. It's very impressive. Very right. impressive. The show is supposed to be a comedy, and like yeah. you said, there's a laugh track to tell you when to laugh, right. because if there were no laugh track, you wouldn't know, because it's yeah. not fucking funny no. at all. It no. is not funny. Like, that Mr. Smith guy, the the the, the ape, you know, yeah. he never says one funny thing. No. So he's given the voice of someone when he's talking. I know you and I talked about this, but we were like, the voice kind of sounds familiar. It's like an old... Yeah. Like New Yorky Jewish kind of voice. You yeah. Know? And it ended up being the producer of the show, Ed Weinberg. Right, so it's right. not anyone we could have heard, but it was no. just, it's very. There's something uh, about it that yeah. sounds like, I, I think I know this voice, but it turns out I don't. You know? Yeah, right. His top assistant or whatever is this oh. kind of uh, effeminate guy who's, he's like making all the quips and the funny jokes. He gets 95% of the jokes out of everyone in the show. So I feel right, bad right. for him. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I guess he was like a popular Broadway star in the 70s and all that stuff. And uh, oh, I can just man. imagine, like, well, you know, him reading those lines and just being like wanting to put a gun in his mouth, you know? <laughs> oh, jeez. Feel bad for the guy. Yeah, it's 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 bad. This one, uh, 1983, went a season, 13 episodes. Wow. Yeah. Understandable. <laughs> yeah. Just a snore fest. Yeah. It ranked 47th when it first aired out of the 57 shows of that week. <laughs> oh, that explains it. <laughs> so everyone started playing with their G.I. Joes and wrestling, apparently. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's hilarious. All right, let's go to now. We're we're gonna shift gears completely. This is this is a yeah. Paul Walker Fast and Furious shifting job we're oh, doing man. here. Fifteen we're gonna, shifts. We're, let's go. Click, yeah, click, click, right, click, right, click. right. <laughs> He's got a semi truck transmission in a Skyline <laughs> GTR. But um, yeah, okay. So this is a ninja show. Oh man. I fucking love this show. So if you're a fan of our show, you've heard us yeah. mention it briefly. Yeah, we did. In the uh, Canon show. In our, the one about Canon Films, yeah. Right. Uh, because Canon Films kind of made the whole ninja thing super popular right. in the 80s, and I was a prime age for that. And uh, <laughs> this this show was called The Master, right? right? John Peter McAllister. The only Occidental American to achieve the martial arts discipline of a ninja. Once part of a secret sect he wanted to leave, but was marked for death by his fellow ninjas. He's searching for a daughter he didn't know he had. Pursued by Okasa, once the master's student, now sworn to kill him. That master found a new student, a young wanderer, Max Keller. As they set out together to find John's daughter, they find themselves wrapped in new adventures in each town they arrive, all the while knowing Okasa would be behind them in the shadows, ready to strike again. And um, it starred uh, Lee Van Cleef, uh, yep. also who we mentioned a billion times because he's a part of uh, the... Um, Man With No Name trilogy, yep. Right. So, uh, and in Escape from New York, too. We yep. talked about him in the Antiheroes episode. Um, right. He's got a very defining look to him. Like, when you right. see his face, no one looks like this guy. Right. He has such a narrow... A very rat kind of face. Jawline, you know, yeah, yeah. Pointy yeah. chin, yeah. And his voice is impeccably... Unlike anyone else's, you hear it, and it's got this deep kind of raspy. Yeah, raspy, but assertiveness to it. Yeah, there's like yeah. a almost like a th there's a little bit of theater to it too. You have more tenacity than I expected, and speed and courage. It showed you can do more than fight, and that you're gonna have to do. You know, he has a little bit of bravado. He's also, you know, what else he's in, but he doesn't hardly has any speaking lines. Is uh, the man who shot Liberty Valance? He's. Uh, Oh right, you were saying one that, of yeah. Lee, one of Lee Marvin's henchmen, you know, and he's really young in that. He looks right. pretty ha he, pretty handsome actually. But anyway, uh, he plays the master in this. So this is this was like um, <laughs> this was his last role to be honest, because right. I think he was actually I think he was terminally ill when they were filming this, which is yeah. a little sad, you know. Uh, but he's basically this. So he, the the premise of it is, is he was a uh, uh, a World War II veteran that stayed behind after the war was over. He stayed behind in Japan and then studied ninjutsu and 
became, a, you know, one of the first white ninja masters. And then somehow, somewhere along the line, he had a daughter that ended up in the United States. <laughs> it's like, wait a second. I thought, how, how did you... How did, and, and it's a white girl, too. So it's like, how did you... Wh when did this interaction happen? Anyway. Right. Uh, he wants to go to the United States and find his daughter. And then along the way, he meets this other dude, this young guy who's like a freewheeling van-driving adventure guy. Timothy Van Patton. Yeah, who's a... I remember when the show was new uh, that Timothy Van Patton, th that right. character was annoying as fuck to me even back in 1980, whatever, 1984. I was like, oh, right. I hate this guy. I hate his so voice. I hate everything uh, about him. You're in this prime area of your life. Ninjas yes. are like... Wow. Everything. I had a ninja outfit in this right. time period. I had... <laughs> I had a fucking ninja outfit, and uh, I wanted to be a ninja. I, I remember that's when I had, like I talked about in the other episode, I had snuck watching Revenge of the Ninja and like, right. with my hand on the dial of the TV in case my <laughs> parents case. came home. Yeah. <laughs> so I was so fucking, when this show came out, I was like, my prayers have been answered. Right. And from Re Revenge of the Ninja, uh, right. Shokasuji, who was the quintessential ninja actor guy. He's in all of the canon ninja movies. Right. He's also the antagonist in this series, too. Right. And he had the coolest, and I'll, even today, I will yeah. still say, it is the coolest ninja outfit I have ever seen. <laughs> right. Where it has this, like, chainmail uh, veil kind of across the, the mouth and over the eyes and all right. that stuff. And he has chainmail on his gauntlets and all that stuff. And I was right. like... I had the Black Belt magazine that I had for 25 years that I actually ordered my ninja outfit off out of. Right. You know, where you could cut out the little order right. thing. That's where I ordered it, out of that magazine. It had him. Mom, give me 20 bucks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It had Shokasuji wearing that exact um, ninja outfit on the cover. Right. Then to see it come to life on this TV show, I was like, oh! <laughs> God... I know you're real now because you've granted this wish and brought yeah. the most cool show ever to TV. Yeah. For one season because it right. also sucked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and here's the thing is like, I remember there's a, there's a scene that, you know, when right after Lee Van Cleef meets the Dick Van Patten, I want to say Dick Van Patten, that's the guy right. from Eight, Eight is Enough and uh, High Anxiety. Right. Timothy Van Patten. When Lee Van Cleef meets Timothy Van Patten in the first episode, right. they're in this bar and they're getting in a fight. And yeah. there's this, whole, there's this, you know, a ninja is supposed to be, you know, any kind of supreme martial arts master right. is, is dead steady and not shakeable or right. unflappable at all, right? right? There's a scene where Lee Van Cleef is standing by the bar and these two guys get thrown at him. And Lee Van Cleef, like, Double flinches, he's like trying. To, his arms are jiggling out, like he's gonna help the guy from hitting the bar too hard. And I'm like, oh my god, he's he just blew his character right there. <laughs> he didn't know that was the actual take. He thought, yeah, this is a test. We're running through this. I was so embarrassed for him. I'm like, oh man, Lee, you're no ninja. Yeah, I remember bits and tiny pieces of this show as a kid. Because yeah. the thing that I remembered the most that for some reason stuck in my mind was that it was very similar to the A-Team. Because I remember yeah. the Timothy Van Patten guy drove the van. And I was right. like, ooh, that's like A-Team. And then yeah. Yeah. as the series went along, that's what ends up happening with these two. As right. they go on Going town to town. Helping right. people out. 
Well, this was a very popular format in yeah. TV shows in this time period where they would go town to town with, with some kind of journey looking for someone. Right. A team wasn't necessarily looking for someone. They were right. running away from, kind of like on The Incredible Hulk, running away from the journalist. Right. Whereas, um, like on Starman, and they're looking for the woman from the movie, you yeah. know, and it's this kid, you know, there was always that. So these two are looking for his long lost daughter because they're, right. and they're always just missing her in every town, you know what right. I mean? So that's like the, the concept. And there is somebody like always on their hot on their trail for some reason. So they always got to keep on the move. Well, but. they had to keep ahead of Shokazuji. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Right. Yeah. The one thing, though, that in rewatching it, though, going back and rewatching it for this thing, is as I'm watching it and the show starts and it has this theme song that starts playing. Yeah. I'm all like, this sounds like the music that's used during the trumpet runs for Rocky, Bill Conti. Yeah, I love right. that that composer. I'm a composer kind of guy. I love music, movie scores and stuff. And then it gets to the credits and it says, music by Bill Conti. I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it is. It's one of those really infecti. Uh, that guy has a way. Right. Like, even with the Rocky stuff, you know, you hear it. Forty years later, yeah. and you just you're watching it, and it's just you find yourself moving to it. You get yeah. in your blood, kind of thing, and that show's theme. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, as soon as I heard that theme song, after not seeing that show for whatever it was, thirty-five years, I'm like, oh, I remember this theme song exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other thing I'll say, because here's the thing, is, like I said, we, like we've talked about a bazillion times, I always pick out the car shit, right? Right. So in this, I do remember the van. It's very, it's similar to the 18 one, but it's a little, it's lifted a little more and right. it has wide, wider tires. And right. in that first, and the funny thing is the guest star, the special guest star in the, yeah. is in the first episode is Demi Moore before she right. was famous. It's pretty wild. She's yeah. so young. She's got to be like 20 years old. Yeah. But he's running from the cop with her in it and they are fucking beating the shit out of that van man <laughs> it's just like just i'm like how did they not crash six of those things maybe they did i don't know maybe yeah yeah just kind of riding on the whole dukes of hazard thing oh, you know yeah. just like anyway yeah so it's either car stuff or because uh, i've always i've been a lifelong kind of martial artist you know because i was into yeah. ninjas and shit but it evolved into the ufc later i right. would be i always pay really close attention to fight choreography Right. And um, there's a scene in there where the guy playing Lee Van Cleef, who, right. you know, that's, this is, this is the brilliant conceit, uh, conceit about this show is right. Lee Van Cleef being on the, on literally on death's door. He's an old man at this right. point. Foots in the grave, one's in a ninja costume. Gray haired and wrinkly, you right. know, when it's time for him to do his full on fighting scenes, if he's in a ninja outfit, you can't tell it's not him. Yeah, right. So <laughs> that's, yeah. that's genius in, in that respect. Right. There's a scene though, in the middle of the episode or towards the end where him and Sho Kasuji get into a sword fight. Totally. Yeah. And the actual fight choreography yeah. on the sword fight is rock fucking solid. It's I was great. like, 
this I'm like, wow, they really put effort into this. Yeah. This is like a, a, a highly choreographed uh, sword fight. So yep. other the rest, uh, not so much, you know. Yeah. Well, that's the thing too is with this show, you know, you have your your you have your moments. Some of the things that rewatching the first episode, I found it on Tubi, and I so I re- they have the whole season on there and yeah. Uh, the show, yeah, like you're saying, it wraps up with that last little fight between him and Show Kazuji, and yeah. um, it's it's great, and it, it was enough to make me go, you know what, I want to <laughs> watch <laughs> the next episode. Oh, really? So you watched yeah, more? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I ended up watching four of these episodes, and every one of them do the same thing, where you're kind of like, oh, this is just getting really cheesy stuff, but it'll do something that'll yeah. make you. So I can totally get, even as an adult. You saying when this show was on and then it went off, you're like, oh, what, what the heck? You know, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 1984, I would have been, uh, uh, I think, 11. Uh, right. I cried, I'm right. sure. <laughs> that it Just as an adult watching it, I, I was like, you get into the rhythms of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, and so, right. you know, when, okay, something interesting is going to happen here. Or, so, you know, and I mean, not interesting, like, wow, this is really riveting. Not that yeah. kind of interesting. I mean, just like, oh, they're going to do something kind of fun here that's kind of right. nostalgic right. for your time or something like that. And the, the, I had a lot of fun with it. This is probably the one I had the most fun with out of all okay. the ones we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. It ended up being canceled, though, due to, again, not drawing a large enough audience. Right. to remain on the air so it must have been kind of pricey which i can kind of get because there are for that first episode there's a bar fight right at the beginning where he where timothy Patton ties a bunch of biker bikes together and yeah. almost hits the people he's trying to save and right and then right. there's that whole chase that you're talking about with demi moore there's a whole explosion in the airport scene airport, the airplanes and then yeah. the bar fight scene and then yeah. there's a big fight scene at the end so there's a lot of going on in an episode you know yeah. it's not one of these that we've been talking about about so far where it's like is something gonna happen on this fucking episode Jeez. yeah it's just poorly strung together storytelling but right. uh that didn't matter in the 80s no so much. no that's you think dukes of hazard made it all the way through what five six seasons <laughs> A genius writing right <laughs> no we're gonna paul walker it one more time and shift to some the weirdest gear ever right to a fiery death this is another show that i remember when this came out i instantly loved this show i remember watching it with my mom and we we're both like wow this is really cool it is the most bizarre show i've ever seen ever yeah i never heard anything about this show until you brought it up right it's called the phoenix and it came out in 1982 long ago in a remote corner of the Ancient astronauts landed from a distant planet with a gift for mankind, the Phoenix. For a thousand years, he has waited, suspended in time. Now, he's awakened to complete his mission. He searches for his partner, Mira, for only she knows his ultimate assignment on Earth. Dependent on the sun for his strength and survival, endowed with a superior intelligence, he has fully developed the powers of the human mind. Relentlessly pursued by those who seek to control him, he must stay free. So I would have been uh, nine years old at this time, and... um, 
it's kind—I don't—it's very genre bending. I don't—I don't even know how to describe it. It's about this being that's found in an archaeological site. He's in a sarcophagus or something, and he's dug out in an archaeological site, and then somehow he's there's a body inside and it's awoken and this it's it ends up being he's a god right. or something or godlike or something godlike yeah. yeah but he's it ends up he's an alien being from another existence and he has you know vast knowledge of the earth going back a couple thousand years he knows of the egyptians and the mayans and all this stuff and he knows all their technology is kind of connected and Right. It's another one of those shows where he's got a mission to find other people, I think, from his time period right. or from his other aliens like him. Right. But he's also being chased by government and government and yeah, yeah all this stuff. And so it's like, you know, moving from town to town, kind of like we just right. said with the, the master and <laughs> a team saying, and yeah. the fugitive and, and, right. and Starman and. Yeah, so it's one of those, and it has it has a lot of really like deep philosophical shit yeah. going on. Uh, from everything from you're destroying the environment to right. I mean, this is like when what year was this? <laughs> it's 1982, right? <laughs> the other thing too was he falls in love with the girl who he's staying with yeah. in the first episode, and right. they fucking kill her at the end of the episode. Yeah. I was like, oh shit. They never did shit like that. Spoiler warning. Yeah, sorry if anybody, <laughs> but they killed her at the end of the episode. So you think it's going to be him and her, tr like being in love and traveling together. But right. yeah, he ha he has like these mystical powers that kind of like as the series goes on, you find out more and more about these powers and his right. connection and his background and who he is and all that stuff. He's wearing it's kind down because of, of like he's like a battery and the yeah, yeah. He has to reach. He has like, to recharge in the yeah. sunlight. Yeah. He That's goes right. to a casino to get money to get give to E.G. Marshall, who's in the show, to yeah, help him right, right. find all of these the, chemicals and stuff for him so he can make a, a – it sounds like he's wanting to make like a conductor to help uh -huh. charge him, to right. re-energize him or something like that. The one thing I noticed about the main guy who's in this, which – uh, I was going to say, he, he popped up and shit all over TV back yeah. in those days. His name is uh, Judson Scott. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that guy, if you just look at his face with his eyes, I'm just like, if they ever remade this, Killian yeah. Murphy's going to play this guy. Oh, wow. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. I just kind of remember in like all other different types of shows, like, say, The Master or uh, The Highwayman, there would always eventually sometimes yeah. be an, uh, that guy, that actor would Crossover, show up in other right. shows. And I, and I would be like, ah, that's the guy from that show, The Phoenix, that I loved. Right. That didn't make it. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, he's like one of those TV character actors from the 70s and 80s, and he right. this it, was his one big chance to be a leading man, and it just didn't right. pan out. It was weird too, like because they're trying to create this sexual tension. The minute that he comes in contact, he's running from the government place where yeah. he he when he wakes up, and he he's out on this road wandering along, and this woman shows up in a car, and he basically yeah. says, "You have to." take me with you or I'm going to die kind of thing, which is immediately yeah. like yeah. the signs of a bad relationship right there. <laughs> but if you don't stay with me, I'll kill myself kind of thing. You know? I've heard of that. <laughs> and so, um, 
but they 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 insert a lot of this weird sexual tension between them and she wants to take pictures and he uses his mind powers or burning powers to like destroy all the photographs of her and stuff and they yeah. have this weird foot rubbing scene too where he's like, <laughs> lay down and i'll rub your feet you know right you right. can see him getting all weird and into it and stuff and it's just it holds on things i think longer than any other show i've ever seen especially from the time on just nothingness like he's right. not talking he's just rubbing her feet and she you can see her in like this weird ecstasy, ecstasy yeah. kind of thing right. and he's like watching her and, and this it's weird stuff he has this medallion thing that this right boy who doesn't speak kind of is brought into the plot right yeah. the, the, the the boy who, who doesn't speak it's because he chooses not to speak or something like that i guess right but then he lo- forgot how to speak, and then right. he builds this connection with the alien, and they know he's he always or something. Right, yeah. he always knows where he is, and he's yeah. following him, and people get shot. And boy, watching it because I remembered loving it, and right. the loose basics of it was right. he was an alien being with powers. Yeah, yeah. But once I rewatched the show a couple weeks ago, I'm like. How the fuck did this ever get greenlit? <laughs> it is so existential, and it's honestly way too intellectual yeah. for 1980s television. No way, yeah. Not to say it's smart by any standards, no, but, compared, no, no. but compared to all the shit we just la- yeah. talked about, it's, it's the deepest one. Yeah, yeah, and it has the IQ of Mr. Smith. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing. So it comes out, the pilot movie comes out in 81. It's yeah. picked up as a series in 82. Right. It has five episodes and one oh. p- the pilot. So Yeah, yeah. A lot of people were like, what the hell is this shit? Yeah. Don't yeah. tell don't preach to me about health. Now give me my smoking section and shut the fuck exactly. up. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you know there's there is a lot of like uh, an incredible Hulk kind of vibe. It it definitely yeah. is is following a lot of that except it's not a tortured monster. It's more right. of a tortured alien with special powers and Right, right. Yeah, but it yeah, you're right. It it has this environmental thing going on yeah. that's really awkward for that time period, you know. I I've really never on TV ever come across a show, especially from yeah. this time that preaches like this show does. Right. Not in a, like a heavy wag your finger way, but in a way yeah. that's just fitting into the story of this guy saying, I'm not used to this because you guys don't take care of this or that. You know right. what I mean? The He's missing. Is, yeah. And it's like, wow, this is crazy how right. this was a show that they pitched and said, yeah, we'll give you a budget for that. <laughs> right, right, right. The one thing that, that stood out to me, though, in the episode, which was really funny, which is which becomes a part of a lot of some of these shows that try to take on a little bit more. We'll get into another show that does this uh, in, a, in a little bit. But there's a scene in the this pilot episode where he is actually police show up to try to get him and and then they shoot him yeah and he goes down and you can see that he's wounded and everything and then when he goes in and they're starting to do an operation on him to try to help his wound it starts healing by itself but they show it a little bit on its way of healing but then they keep they more flashback to the people operating just on their faces and going look it's closing up. Look at <laughs> yeah, that. right. You can almost see it's, it's scar tissue, and then they show it again in the scar tissue. Oh my gosh, the scar tissue is gone. And then they go back, <laughs> and it's this irregular yeah. you know, area, and you're like, all right then. Yeah, they don't have the budget to do the. No, whole, they can't do that. Like, special effects of it disappearing. Definitely the most left field of any oh, yeah. TV show ever. I mean, even by today's standards. Oh, no, totally. I, yeah. I don't think this could get greenlit today. <laughs> no, no. It's super. But if it did. 
Yeah, if, if it, it did, did Killian, Murphy. Killian Murphy should yes. play the guy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, what a hunk. That's what I'm. That's what I'm pitching. So if someone steals that idea, you owe me money. <laughs> Glenn right. R. A. Larson. He's not alive, unfortunately. R.I.P. Yeah, he passed 12, away. If he, yeah, 2014. Next up, we have uh, a, a very high concept TV show. <laughs> yeah. It was really high budget too, and uh, <sighs> this is another one that I was madly in love with when it came out on TV. I thought this was the coolest fucking show I've ever seen. Oh, man. It was called The Misfits of Science, and it came out in 1985. These are not your basic everyday good guys. They're the most amazing team of heroes ever assembled. My God. Some people might even call them Misfits. The Misfits of Science. Yeah, it's about kind of it's kind of like an X-Men kind of thing where these different yeah. kind of mutant people come together and they each have special powers. Each one has a, a unique power and they're fighting crime and stuff <laughs> or something. I don't know. So but, yeah, they're, 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 it's like a part of a government off, 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 off branch that they're trying to make their name in the government so they can get more funding or, yeah. or whatever and everything. And so they specialize in like people with special abilities or people who have had strange accidents that's caused right. them to have special abilities or right. blah, 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 blah. So all of that stuff, I never heard of this show back in 1985. Never, never. I didn't know it until you mentioned it. Right. But okay. when you're explaining it to me, I'm like, that's totally kicking off my Spidey senses and all yeah. my comic book love. So I'm right. like, oh man, that concept is right. awesome. Right. It is. Right. The show. Not so much. It's <laughs> fucking sleepy, dude. I wa- We watched this. We each watched this a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And the whole time I'm thinking, how the fuck did I love this show? <laughs> this is the most boring thing I've ever seen. The jokes are terrible. They, the, the one guy who leads the Misfits of Science. Dean Paul Martin. De- okay, that's his name. He's, they, he's shoehorning fucking jokes in. Ugh. Left and right and not one of them are hitting. Yeah. It's like, shut up, you nut. Knucklehead. Yeah, yeah. Please <laughs> shut up. Uh, so there's this big guy from 1937, I guess, or 1938, who was frozen, and somehow he <laughs> has to stay frozen, and he has the power of being frozen or something. Yeah, he can he can freeze things, and the more yeah. upset he gets, the more things get cold or something. And for some reason, chocolate knocks him right out. And that yeah, stops they, it. <laughs> right. That's how they can control him because he's like this uncontrollable beast. And all he says is Amelia over and over again. Amelia! <laughs> Amelia! And they figure it out because he this he got frozen the same year Amelia Earhart died, which yeah. is like the dumbest fucking writing <laughs> thing I've ever... The concept of that is just so weak. Anyway, so that's the big frozen guy. And then there's the... 
the lab partner guy is this big, tall, like seven foot two black guy who, yeah. you know, and the joke with him is that he can't play basketball, but everybody thinks he can. Uh, yeah. I remember that whole gimmick when I yeah. was a kid thinking that's the funniest fucking thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> and then watching it on the show, I'm like, I don't, there's nothing funny here. Nothing. <laughs> this is awful and awkward. But he had done some experiments with making bunnies huge and bunnies small right. and all this shit. So he had ejected himself and his ability. He taps the back of his neck, and he goes from seven foot two to like uh, maybe six inches high or something yeah, like yeah, that. Something he becomes like that. a little little tiny guy, and then yeah. they have to wear put him in like Ken doll clothes or something. Right. So then there's this other guy, Johnny B. Good, literally Johnny B. Good, because he's a fan of uh, the song from Chuck Berry and and. That's his thing, but he has like this. He got struck by lightning or something like that, and he can <laughs> cause lightning strikes and shoot lightning out of his eyes or something like that. But or he, out can, of his he hands. can charge down too. He needs to recharge after a while. Yeah, he can't right, just keep right. Doing it. Yeah, he's yeah, like yeah. a battery, so he has right. to keep refilling his battery if he wants to. Right. So there's that guy, and that guy. If anybody's ever seen the movie Ski School, <laughs> right? Yeah, he's the bad guy from Ski School with the feathered hair, the feathered blonde hair. He plays he's just the, a good. 80s guy. He, he's he definitely a good 80s villain guy. He looks right. like the guy from Better Off Dead, and he right. kind of looks like the guy from Karate Kid. The really nice thing to look at in the show, though. Yes. Yeah. Is a very young, like 20-year-old Courtney Cox, pre-boob job. But yeah. holy shit, her face is so beautiful. Yeah. It's amazing. She has really short hair, and she has these... Her power is like a telekinesis thing, where she can... Move things with her mind, or throw people, or move yeah, things. Yeah, right. And She's like a troubled teen kind of thing. And she falls in love with Johnny B. Good, who... She does, yeah. But I don't she know knows if she his... knows this, but he's a loner. A he's rebel. He's a, a rebel, daddy. <laughs> yeah. But she had gone and seen his concerts or something like that. Right, you yeah. know, she knew him from beforehand. Yeah, he then, pulls her yeah. up on stage and he's like, "Even if we're just dancing <laughs> in the dark." <laughs> that's that's a funny connection. Yeah, you're right. Well, here's a fun, here's something funny. So when the name the Misfits Science was uh, thrown around as a conceptual idea of the brainchild of the show, which was the president of NBC at the time. It's Brandon Tartikoff, right? Right. And so he, he says, this is a quote from him. It's like, we rely on the National Enquirer for story ideas. And also, we have to admit, it's loosely inspired by the dynamics we saw in the hit comedy Ghostbusters. <laughs> oh, okay. That makes a lot of fucking sense. Well, right that there. does make a lot of sense, yeah. Because they already had, like, the Misfits of Science uh, t-shirts, t-shirts in the first episode of the show. Right. And I remember that being a thing, you know. Oh, they had the t-shirts they were selling yeah, and stuff? Yeah, oh, yeah, okay. yes. And, and also in the pilot episode when they're first coming up or whatever they're playing thomas dolby's science oh yeah you know she blinded me with science which yeah, I, that yeah. was i was a huge fucking fan of that song when i was oh, a kid yeah. or Tom, thomas dolby in general so i think probably that's also part of what hooked me in was it had a couple of popular songs in the right. time but man you know it was an hour and a half pilot movie oh. and i was looking at hot girls on instagram most of the time <laughs> <laughs> I, I could was, not pay attention to this show at all. This is the one I had the hardest time with on this. Yeah. Out of all of this, I would have rather watched like seven Mr. Smiths than this. 
<laughs> That's around, saying something. Wrestle around with uh, GI Joes for a while. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. The one thing that I will mention, though, that the name stood out in my head when I saw it in the credits, which was Kevin Peter Hall, that very tall African American guy yeah. that you're talking about in, the, in right. the movie. And I was like, how do I know that name? I know that name. I've heard that name before. Before. Right. So when I went and looked him up on IMDb, he's passed. Unfortunately, he's passed already. But. He is responsible for two iconic characters for me. I, I don't know, yeah. well, at least one for you, which yeah. he played the Predator in yep. the original 1987 Predator movie. He was that yep. big. They needed somebody who was really fucking tall. Right. And yeah. he did it, man. He filled that. He's dude. the one that replaced Jean-Claude Van Damme, who was the original <laughs> Predator, if anybody knows. Right. Jean-Claude Van Damme was the fucking Predator, <laughs> right. and the screen testing was not working out, so they <laughs> fired him and replaced him with this... Giant, seven foot tall, bigger. Yeah. So yeah, then he also, I guess they, he kind of found his niche, and playing these big costume characters, and he went on to be the Bigfoot character in Harry and the Hendersons. Uh, oh, with, nice. Yeah, no, with, that's a that's a one I love too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's, so I remember, I remember seeing that and just being like, oh my god, I totally, I totally know that guy. And and right. And hearing that and everything, I was like, that's how I know that guy's name. So that was cool. That was the coolest right. thing I think seeing that, that and looking at, at Courtney Cox for a while. Yeah, she's so beautiful yeah. back then. She's you know she's kind of done that plastic surgery yeah, thing in, the, in these days, and she's looking a little yeah. strange, but right. She had the most beautiful face. No, you totally made the comment, too, that, you know, you know what? I think she's actually prettier than Jennifer. Jennifer Aniston, for sure. Yeah. When you said it, I was like, I don't know about right. that. But watching that show. Right, because I would, I even saying that, I'm like, I can't believe I'm saying right. this. But you see her back when she's 20, 21 yeah. years old. Her, her face is perfect. She's a little angel. Yeah, exactly. This show went from October 4th, 1985 to February 21st, 1986. It had 15 or 16 episodes, one season. I wonder why. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, it was not good. All right, so we're going to jump back into a, another Glenn A. Larson project. And this one is, you want to talk about high concept. It is bizarre. It is bizarre. But I do remember this when it was new back in 1983. Right, me too. It, it had a lot of um, attention back in those days. Yeah. And it's a TV show called Manimal. Dr. Jonathan Chase. Wealthy, young, handsome. A man with the brightest of futures. Man with the darkest of pasts. From Africa's deepest recesses to the rarefied peaks of Tibet, heir to his father's legacy and the world's darkest mysteries. Jonathan Chase, master of the secrets that divide man from animal. Animal from man. Manimal. They don't really ever like, totally explain it in the show. I watched yeah. the show and a few episodes after because I remember seeing the previews for the show back in the day when it first aired and being highly interested in it. Yeah. But I, oh, yeah. I don't have the memory of ever watching the show. So the Same. first time I can remember watching it was for this show and everything. Right. And I know I had a much better time with this show than you did. 
Right. I was bored with it. I couldn't get through the episode. I, right. The way you felt about Misfits of Science, I think Manimal for me was the hardest one. Because oh, really? Okay. I shut it off at like 35 minutes in. I'm like, this. that's the only one I didn't slog through. I was right. like, I can't do it. I'm just, uh, I'm sleeping. Right. But the concept is, is he somehow has this... Uh, um, shapeshifter. Yeah, he's a, he's a shapeshifter. Uh, so he can... Come from a man, he can turn. He can turn to just about anything—a snake, right. a hawk, a panther. But before he does that, for all of these animals, he has to slowly go <sighs> as he's going into this trance of turning into whatever. Yeah, and it's—it's just—it cracks me up because that he has to concentrate and breathe like that. So it sounds like he's having an asthma attack every time he, he does it. <laughs> Right, and I believe it was Stan Winston did the effects. Where this is one of those things where right. they did like four or five effects. Right. I think it was only like a couple actually. One where he's turning into the panther, which is what he turns into mostly. Yeah. And the show was kind of hinged on the panther part of it. There's a lot of Stan Winston effects used for that with the bubbling skin and the the face morphing and changing and all that stuff. But it's one of those things where, you know, Stan Winston does it one take of it and then the show reuses that take over and over and over again for the rest of the series. Right. And and when he turns into like a snake or whatever else he turns into, a rabbit or whatever, they don't show him changing at all because they don't have the special effects. They show him doing that that weird face and then you hear the breathing and then. Yeah. It's yeah. inferred that he yeah. tr- morphed into a Things snake or something. Things are happening. Just like as we were saying in the Phoenix, look, the wound is closing up, and you're just watching the people's <laughs> face watch the wound close up. You're not watching the wound. Yeah, Yeah, so exactly. they're doing the same thing there. And that's just a budget, budgetary thing and everything. What I will say about the time, yeah, it's super dated as far as how the bubbly skin thing goes. But back in this time, this is 83, coming off of... Uh, howling and stuff like that. That was a very prominent thing for change back then. So for a show to embrace that, I think it was good. I I, I didn't have a whole lot of issue. What's hilarious when you watch the show, a lot of the things with the cats, because there's multiple cats in the first pilot episode that, you know, he as a panther has to go to the zoo and convince all these other wild animals, like tigers and lions to come and help him stop the bad guys at the end. It's crazy. That's so stupid. Every time they show Bernie before he dies. Yeah, yeah. Terry Kaiser's in uh, the he's episode. He's playing the bad guy, yeah. Yeah. He's coming in contact with one of these uh <laughs> with one of these cats, these wild cats. They show the cat looking at him and looking aggressive or something. And then occasionally they'll pan back and the, the cat's still... It's more close up on the face, but you can see the cage that it's in behind in the background. And there's no cage <laughs> right. anywhere in the actual yeah, scene. Yeah, right, in the scene. Right, <laughs> like, yeah. Okay. That's a brilliant... Uh... I guess if I'm going to suspend disbelief already, I might as well do it anyway right now. <laughs> right. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, he's like an English gentleman. He's supposed to be wealthy, right? Because right. he has a, he's drive, gets driven around in a Rolls Royce all the time. And yeah, the main guy is Simon McCorkendale. Yeah, well, for me, so I had to look it up because I thought this guy's English accent was put on. It right. sounded so overly English oh, yeah. proper that it sounds fake. Right. Therein lies the problem: knowing something and proving it. Two entirely different things. Like, like it almost sounds like 
somebody pretending to be English. So I looked it up, and the guy's fucking English. He yeah. actually is English, so maybe that's his real accent. Right. I don't fucking know. Or he's like, he's got a Cockney accent, and he's trying to act like a proper uh, guy because he's supposed to be, re- yeah, and and he's bad at it. I don't right, know. Right, right. You, you mentioned that before I actually ended up watching it, and I watched it, and yeah, it does stand out for sure. And it, it, what it reminds me a lot of is... Um, if you watch a lot of movies from from the 50s on, probably all the way up to the 80s, anytime some really rich person has a butler, they have yeah. someone that talks like this down. You know, <laughs> yeah, and right. And then a very similar time period, probably maybe two or three years off of this show, another series that has someone that actually does it that is an Englishman that does it is Mr. Belvedere. He talks like yeah, that. Yeah, right. Show. I may permit myself a few Valentine's Day thoughts. Heather has realized that disappointment aside... Her heart does indeed belong to Daddy. We just might live a good life yet. There is a dialect within the English culture that is considered the proper uh, English accent, and okay. that's it. That's it. Like so, whenever you hear like King Charles talk, and he oh, talks right. in RP, which is all the royalty have to speak that way, and all right. the aristocrats are supposed to speak that way, and that's where it kind of became, the, and that's where the Mid Atlantic thing comes from in the okay. in the United States, where you're trying to sound proper and all that stuff. So, well, this is definitely Glenn A. Larson's attempt at a superhero show. Yeah, yes, yeah. Because this guy, Doctor Jonathan Chase, who Simon McCorkendale is playing as the shape-shifting <laughs> man, yeah. Uh, he, as the manimal guy, he he's definitely reflective of a Bruce Wayne, Batman-y mm-hmm. kind of right. character. That's yeah, yeah. He, Secret he's, billionaire, he's, yeah, and yeah. all of this stuff. And then this this cop woman is falling in love with him as she's right. needing his help to solve these crimes and all of this stuff. So Ugh. yeah, it's the shadow meets yeah meets Batman-y kind of thing. You can see Glenn Larson's just looking at all of these things all the, that right. are going on right now. Superman yeah, in and, its prime right now. Superman 2 came out, I think, uh, two years before this. So And like you had said, the uh, the howling and, and American Werewolf in London right. had come out. So there's the, some of the effects were taken from, yeah. you know, or inspired by those movies. Oh, yeah, and, most certainly, most certainly. And, one thing before we wrap this up is that I found really weird in the pilot episode Manimal and this female cop are walking around a nightclub in one scene and Beat It is playing in the background Beat It by Michael Jackson yeah. I just it made me stop while I was watching it and think how did they get the rights to do this because like, residuals was still a thing back then in the 80s right and right and so yeah. uh, I just it, it was weird to me it stood out like wow they're really using real hit songs uh-huh. and and so I just I, I wonder if Michael Jackson had a clause like you can use my my music as long as I can have all the animals that he turns into for my <laughs> it was just weird it really struck me But yeah, you can clearly see that Glenn A. Larson with this this uh, show is is trying to figure out how can we make a werewolf movie, a weekly TV show, and make him like a superhero. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then we get into our next show. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <Which> is... <laughs> nice segue. <laughs> you, you didn't even know you were doing it. <laughs> uh, sure I did. <laughs> wink, wink. Eric Cord was just an ordinary college student until he was attacked by his roommate, a werewolf. Now he's running for his life chased by a bounty hunter for the murder of his cursed friend. 
In pursuit himself of the evil werewolf Scorzani, the source of his bloodline, a beast who must die to set Eric free, a race against time and the bloodlust that threatens to overwhelm him. Now, Werewolf, the legend continues. Right, because we're going from a shape-shifting crime fighter to a series, <laughs> another series that I loved. And this one I watched with my sister. It was called Werewolf. Yeah. No, I remember this one, too. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. was a pretty high-production show. Uh, yeah. So I watched the pilot movie again. A lot of these had movies like that opened them up, you know, like these two-hour or hour-and-a-half right. pilots. And, um, yeah, I remember watching this and this one and thinking, this... This one of all, all the ones we watch is the one that most feels like it could have been a standalone Hollywood movie. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. It had that Mike and the Mechanics Can You Hear Me song. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. And uh, Tim Buck 3, which was uh, My Future's So Bright, I Gotta Wear Shades. Yeah. And I'm like, well, this okay. So this is kind of feeling like a Hollywood thing. Plus, it's all on location. You know yeah, what I mean? It's right. it, it's not on a soundstage, soundstage much. Yeah. No, yeah, and it doesn't look like it. It's it really fits into that thing. This is shot in 1987, and it really has that feeling of the 80s. And one of the scenes in this opening pilot scene, they're in a discotheque, and it encompasses all that 80s. Yeah. And uh, the one thing that it reminded me of while I was watching it is it has a lot of that vibe that James Cameron used in the discotheque scene in The Terminator. I, I, I thought the same thing when we just rewatched it a few weeks ago. Yeah, I was like, this feels a lot like uh, yeah, the, yeah. the original Terminator I was Terminator waiting thing. for you to see Arnold walk by <laughs> in the background like, oh my God. Right, right. Fuck you, asshole. I totally remember, too, that because I'm Mustang guy. I've always had Mustangs, and, and he had a convertible Mustang right. that he drove around in. I was like, oh, that's nice. But um, the, one of the things, too, is when they do the perspective fr from the uh, werewolves mm -hmm. when they're transformed, right. they use that color effect on there yep. that was – they took that straight from the movie Wolfen. I don't know yep. if anybody's ever seen that movie or heard of it, but back yep. in the old days, Wolfen wasn't really a werewolf thing. It was just about these supernatural giant wolves that were going around killing people. Right. But every time they did the perspective from the eyes, they used this particular filter you yep. know, where it would kind of like – oversaturate the color and stuff like that right. and um this used that exact same thing you know uh, yeah took it straight from that movie so yeah this this show feels dated but i yeah. don't think in a in i mean if, if you don't like it it's in a negative way but it made me feel like oh this is fun this is kind of like yeah. watching an old 80s movie. it felt not, like an 80s horror movie yeah, to me. yeah and that's what I really I dug about it was that uh, you know I'm not saying it's a it's the greatest thing and there's great acting and everything in it but I think that there's enough theatricality to yeah. the TV show to make it yeah. not feel like a cheap TV show, right? Yeah, and the werewolves look they're they're a little yeah you know they they look pretty decent I yeah. mean it's they're not the best especially for TV. For TV, they look yeah. really good. They, yeah. they are kind of stiff like the heads don't move, the yeah. necks don't move because of the way right. they design them, but they are kind of like really fangy and, right. and snarly and right. drippy drippy saliva and big right. hands you know they're kind of like and they don't like, linger on them too long that's the right. greatest thing that right. they do that opening scene at the club that I'm talking about where the wolf actually yeah. attacks those people at, outside in the car Right. You just see it for a split second as it busts through the front windshield. And, it, right. and it's a really good, like, ooh, that was, I like this. I like right, this. Right. It's getting yeah. in the tone of it. 
Yeah, I remember feeling really hype on it back in the day when yeah. uh, it came out. And, no, I um, remember loving it back then. I remember this is one that I can actually remember thinking when they canceled it, like, oh, fuck, that show was so <laughs> great. Yeah, and not unlike the master, we have another guy from old timey westerns playing the. Except he's playing the bad guy werewolf, and that's Chuck Connor from The Rifleman. Right. Uh, and he's playing this eye-patched bad guy werewolf who is the head of the uh, bloodline. So right. the, the, the whole goal, the whole conceit of the show is that they have to kill this Chuck Connor werewolf, and then he'll be cured of his curse. when they get the curse, they have this, like, insignia on their hand thing. The pentagram, yeah. The pentagram comes up in their hand, and it bleeds when he's about to turn. Right. One of the things I read, and I kind of remember this, was Chuck Connor was kind of held out on the finale for uh, more money, and they wouldn't pay it to him. So uh, he just said, fine, and he walked. And then they had to do, they had to get his stunt double to do all of his scenes. Right. (laughs) And in order, because since he wasn't there for the the death scene, the way they had him die was by throwing acid on him so that when he turned back to a human, you couldn't tell it wasn't Chuck Connor anymore. (laughs) Yeah, I I remember hearing that. Yeah. And then, uh, uh, not unlike the master, uh, Chuck Connor didn't live much past. This no, show. this is his I last TV he... show. Yeah, yeah. Rest in peace, the Rifleman. <laughs> One of the things that I thought was funny too is in the show uh, the the bounty hunter. Oh yeah, that guy, right? Yeah, his name is Alamo Joe Rogan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Right, I thought that's pretty funny. Yeah, but he's like half Native American, right. and so he's got tracking skills right. and all this stuff, and he wears the deer skin jacket with the fringes right, and all with that. Right, the fringes yeah. and everything on it. Like I say, dated, but yeah. this is another one that also follows that Incredible Hulk yeah. type of scenario. He's going, he's running, trying to find this, and going right. from town to town and, and all that stuff. So, yeah. you know, it does have that, and it has the rock, the 80s rock soundtrack right. behind yeah. it and stuff that's pumping. Yeah, because once those once they spent the budget on those two songs, that's it. There's yeah, no more no, popular yeah. <laughs> music after that. You know, and I'm like, oh, we, we we spent our wad on the music. Apparently, this this show, we weren't the only ones that responded to the show back in the day because it has become kind of an underground. Like, oh man, that show! I remember watching that. It was cool, yeah. kind of yeah. thing. And yeah. watching the pilot, I, I have to say, a lot of things stuck out to me that I really like. One of the things that really stuck out to me that I really liked was in that opening scene, the guy's girlfriend who he's playing around with at the pool, that's yeah. Michelle Johnson from Blame It on Rio, and I recognized oh, her immediately. I was nice. Like, oh my God, I had the biggest crush on her. Yeah, she was really pretty. Yeah. But anyway, going from one night creature to one night superhero. Oh, God. A freak accident. A bomb. For one man's destiny, Johnny Domino is blessed. I felt what he was thinking. Some say cursed. I hear voices. With extraordinary powers and the will to use them. Evil's worst nightmare is about to begin. The world premiere of Nightman. We're going into another Glenn A. Larson project, Ooh. and this one is the cream of the crop of all the shows we're going to talk about. 
as he was subtly kind of hinting at superheroes with Manimal, he's yeah. like, you know what, fuck it, let's just go balls out <laughs> and make a superhero right. TV show by taking a character that Marvel bought and canceled immediately. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And making yeah. that one of our bases for a, a nighttime TV show. It was called Nightman, Ooh. and it came out in 1997. Cue that sexy saxophone music right now. Yeah, so this show, I remember, now somehow, you know, this is, like I said, 90s, I, I knew this show. I remember this show. This I was probably after I had moved to Phoenix and right. was in tech school and stuff, so I was so busy that I wasn't partying much. Right. And and I remember this is one of those shows where I remember seeing the Dodge Prowl or the Plymouth Prowler, which right. is that to me that car was a joke when it came out. It, right. You know, there was some people that thought it was cool. You know, it's supposed to look like a '30s hot rod, right? But it's it's just this dorky ass. So this was '97. Yeah, is when his first premiered. Just so we can right. put a time stamp right '97, and. Uh, yeah, the, so the Plymouth Prowler thing, I remember catching my attention. I'm like, oh, okay, what is this? You know, right. kind of remembered the Viper show from a few years earlier, right, and I'm like, okay, well, so what is it's another crime fighting show with a right. Dodge, a right. Dodge product, a Chrysler product? Right. And I'm like, and they're picking the dorkiest. They might as well have had a PT Cruiser, but. <laughs> <laughs> I started watching this show, and like you said, it says Nightman, and it says back yeah, back in the day. And even then, I'm like. Oh, this is terrible. I have right. to watch this. You know what right. I mean? It was kind of like the Mystery Science Theater thing. I'm like, right. I, I have to watch this. This looks absolutely awful. My experience being a comic book guy is I saw the trailer for this about to air and was immediately annoyed and irritated. Because <laughs> I'm like, yeah. this, is, <laughs> yeah. this is like canon getting a hold of a superhero property and thinking that they're doing a good job. It, uh, the, this yeah. is what this yes. is like. This is the equivalent yeah. in TV version of right. what this is like. So an uh, actual comic book lover is looking at this and is going, what the fuck is this? Yeah, he's, he's a jazz saxophone guy who <laughs> has a, a residency at this nightclub in San Francisco where he plays every yeah. night. Matt McComb is playing the lead character. Yeah, right. Johnny Domino. Okay, Matt McComb, actually, he's a stuntman, too, and he ha he does have some pretty cool credits. Yeah. Uh, he was uh, the Arnold Schwarzenegger's uh, stunt double in the T2 movie and uh right oh and he played uh he played one of the agents in the uh uh agent matrix. uh agent Thompson in in Matrix not the original one but the other two yeah the, right the two sequels the minute you told me that I was like oh, I totally know who he is yeah, in that I right. remember that cuz I yeah. am one of the three people that like the sequels <laughs> <laughs> right 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 but he also he had a couple small roles in Iron Man two. He's in John Wick and Cell Cellular. Yay for John Wick, boo for Iron Man two. Yeah, and so anyway, uh, so that actor he's a buff guy, you yeah. know, long hair, very kind of '90s look to him. Well, the one so thing he, that stood out to me as a comic book fan and was a big warning sign was that he looked a little too much like the guy who played Nuclear Man in uh, Superman four. <laughs> that's yeah, a, that's yeah, funny. Bad um, thing. Yeah, kind of the cheesy, uh, good-looking. Yeah, Chip and Dale. But in guy. a cheesy whale. Yeah, Chip and. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, but anyway, the whole premise is he gets struck by lightning, and then <laughs> after we're, after he's struck by lightning, he has this kind of clairvoyance to know when people are doing evil. Yeah. I guess. If he touches certain things, he can. Right. See the past, or, or walks by them, he can hear their 
thoughts of when they were planning evil stuff. So yes. on top of that, some other old guy who's this famous character actor from a lot of 70s TV shows. Right. He's like a doctor. He's playing a doctor, and he's the one telling him, "Well, this is what's wrong with you." And I don't know how the fuck he knows of that. Of that this is a thing. John, your brain has managed to acquire the capacity to pick up certain frequencies, like a radio. But Doc, I'm only hearing bad stuff. Yes, exactly. You're tuned to the frequency of evil. It also coincides with this other guy who came up with this military defense suit. Yeah, like a hush-hush military thing. Yeah. Other countries are trying to bid on it and mafia. And, right. And they're willing to kill for it. And this guy who has the suit is trying to find this nightman guy. And the nightman guy can sense that that guy with the suit is in trouble. And, and he somehow knows about this uh, other guy. And, yeah. and they, he teams up with him. Right. And uh, there's a couple. That scene when he first meets him and there's yeah. mafia guys out of it. And he, Johnny Domino is like he's got to do the spinning back kick and knock the gun out of the guy's hand in the car. Oh, right. like, you can just see how the the kick is not choreographed well at all, and it's like oh, it's like misses the guy by a mile. Right, it's a mess. It's a big mess. I don't know. It's so terrible. And most of Nightman's powers actually come from this government suit that the guy that has it hooks up with the Nightman guy. That guy has the suit, gives him the suit, and the suit is like this. It has one red eyeball thing. Right. I don't, and it shoots laser beams. It shoots a laser beam and also helps them calculate how far people are or what's okay. going on with them. And yeah. And then he has a anti gravity suit right. or belt. Uh, belt, yeah. Yeah, so that he can fly. And then the suit he wears is bulletproof and. But he can when he flies, he doesn't fly like Superman. No. He just kind of he just kind of hovers at an angle, <laughs> right? <laughs> and a forty-five degree angle, angle. just kind of through the air and looks like a fucking moron. <laughs> but uh, and and the, oh, and his cape, his cape when he it yeah. has an invisibility thing when he cloaks over him. So <laughs> yeah, and I don't even know I mean, the suit looks goofy as hell, right? But I don't even know if good effects would help him. We'll never know because this. TV show does not have good effects. It is the worst CGI effects ever. I can't even call it CG because it's just plain bad computer graphics. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? It's I have not seen Lawnmower Man has better computer <laughs> graphics than this. Right, yeah. That old computer game Pong has better computer <laughs> graphics than this. <laughs> There's this whole opening scene where, because it's in San Francisco, and there's this limousine that's driving on the Golden Gate Bridge, and then they're going to throw somebody out off the bridge, right? Right. Bad guys, right. The limousine is CG. The bridge is CG. The sky is CG, because they yeah. can't stop in the middle of the Golden Gate Bridge right. for this stupid TV show. On the budget, it is yeah. so It is so video game looking. Everything Ugh. looks so bad. Right. And the black clouds in the sky look like... They're brown. They're, <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. It's the colors all wrong. The movement of everything is wrong. It's so bad. Yeah, all the stuff that they did for the last Starfighter is way light years ahead yeah, of this. <laughs> right. I know. So yeah. So then you know, then you have your scenes where he gets struck by lightning, which is in a, a little cable car. Right. Right before a bomb goes off, right. and when he gets struck. Yeah. The sky all of a sudden goes from clear, sunny skies to weird brown clouds that yeah. are made of CG that cover the sky, even though everything else is still lit, like there's sunlight over everything. Right, These right. clouds come over, <laughs> and then you get right. struck by lightning. And Oh, man. It it's just... i got to say this. It is so bad that it's hilarious. Yeah. yeah. No, it, it is. It's one of the... Uh, probably... 
one of the more fun ones I I had fun watching. Yeah, yeah, I did too. I because did too. it's just the worst. <laughs> right. Well, the, what made it doubly fun for me? Yeah. Is that it had a guest star? Yeah. On one of the episodes from a show that we've already talked about that That's I right. actually had a lot of fun with, which right. was. Manimal. Manimal, because it was Manimal and, and Nightman are both Glenn A. Larson projects. They brought back that actor 10 years later to reprise his role as Manimal. A hopeless quest to try to tip the balance away from evil and towards good. I know something about that. Yes, I believe you do. And we get to learn, you know, Nightman doesn't do shit in that episode. No. I, I watched it too. I watched the Manimal yeah. crossover episode, and yep. all Nightman does is just fly around multiple times and then checks in <laughs> with him, going, "Everything's still good here." And then he flies off again. <laughs> he doesn't. Do- He's like, if the bad guy shows up, we'll keep him busy. Yeah. And you fly in at a forty-five degree angle and get him. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But you know, the funny thing is, is like obviously the show already had. We already know because of the bad computer graphics and everything is on a soundstage. It's terrible. Right, yeah. That it does not have the budget to do the Stan Winston effects for Manimal's Morphosis anymore. And he's like... No, no. It's like more of like this flashing light digital... Like super cheesy morphing effects. But we learned from the... In the series that the, the woman you were talking about, that he was... They were falling in yeah, love. in the original show, yeah. They had a, a, a daughter together. Yeah. And the mother died, I should say. Right, The, the, the right. woman from the original show passed away but not before having a daughter right yeah. and uh he's there with his daughter in this episode and mm-hmm. halfway through you find out she's got the power right. too and she she's can turn a, she's a femanimal a femanimal a femanimal shamanimal <laughs> whatever femininist <laughs> right. well i mean the one thing oh my god you can tell glenn a larson's like we can use nightman to bring back manimal the right way yeah we can really do it big now <laughs> right. and it uh oh. not so much not so much what epitome of terrible yeah well, I mean, you know, it just makes me wonder. I wish I was a fly on the wall yeah. during some of these pitch meetings. Right. And just to see the sheer amount of cocaine it, it takes to ingest to come up with some of these ideas. I, we, we did talk about it. Well, we should go into a little more detail again about the Marvel Comics part. So, yeah, because when the show says it comes, it comes up and it shows Ugh. Nightman standing there, you know, with, right. in the night. And... Uh, it says Nightman, and then it says from the based on the Marvel comic or something like right. that, right below it, right? right? And and right. you were saying, tell, go in a little more detail about what actually happened. Okay, so what happened was there was this small comic book company named Malibu Comics, and that company ended up being purchased by at some point in time by Marvel Comics, and it became a small little subsidiary company to Marvel. But Marvel canceled a lot of their comic line including nightman which was part of malibu comics roster yeah and i assume marvel probably just wanted a few characters that they liked from there and then got rid of the rest anyway when this became a tv show glenn a larson i'm sure was desperately wanting to put from marvel comics on it and marvel was very hesitant about that because they got rid of that character because they had nothing to do with the publishing history for that character it was all malibu comic and so uh when it finally came out they were tooling around with how to promote it and marvel didn't want to directly be linked to it so they wouldn't let them use based on a marvel comic book they had to do in association with marvel comics kind of thing oh okay yeah right 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 but uh, this show is just (laughs) it's a fucking doozy if there's any show 
we're gonna say for the audience to go check out for themselves it's <laughs> right. it's gotta be nightman i mean <laughs> right. in in the how did this get made or mystery science theater 3000 sort of like knowing it's terrible kind right. of thing so bad it's fun kind of thing yeah right yeah this this is uh this is the one to check out. It's yeah. fucking ridiculously you can, bad. You can easily create a million different drinking games with this show and get drunk really fast. I know. Yeah. <laughs> What's funny, too, is when he's out fighting crime. Oh, that was part of the thing. I forgot. The, you know, when he got struck by lightning and he has this clairvoyance. Right. He, he can't sleep anymore. Right. So no. that's why he's he's he never <laughs> sleeps again, which in you know, if, if that really happened he's nightman. Yeah, he's nightman. He'd be dead in about a month. But <laughs> what he does like for his jazz show when he's going out to fight crime, he has this like hologram of himself on loop playing right. the saxophone for his audience so they don't know he's gone. And I'm like, <laughs> right. Oh, okay, that's really cheesy why is this guy playing the same fucking songs all the time jesus <laughs> yeah no it's definitely fun in that way to just kind of <laughs> to watch it and if you if you <laughs> if you watch the show you'll see special appearances by little richard <laughs> yeah. jerry springer right. donald trump oh my god and, <laughs> and on that one episode that we we're talking about david hasselhoff yeah that's right he shows up yeah. at the very end yeah plays day man yeah Dayman is his Nightman's arch rival because he can't He'll never catch him He'll never catch him because he's in the day Unless he gets Manimal to help him out (laughs) So I think we've covered it Yeah, We kind of got our way through this whole uh, High concept shitty TV show thing Yeah, yeah, absolutely It was a lot of fun Even, I mean, I didn't have fun with one You didn't have fun with one particular one We both kind of split on that You're Manimal You had the least amount of fun I'm Misfits of Science I almost fell asleep So, I mean, we both uh, parted on that way But I think we probably agree on the ones that we ended up liking Yeah, I'd have to say of Like, the most out there one is the phoenix i like phoenix, I, yeah. I could not believe that show ever got made right. uh it's just so bizarre and so left yeah. field but uh you know all the other ones you know they're harping off of uh, uh six other successful shows or movies so. right yeah P- piggybacking on all of the things that we found nostalgic as kids which is probably why we found them very entertaining as kids and now we look back on them and uh maybe even the things that held our attention was that uh right. lost nostalgia yes yes yeah so but the ones that i enjoyed a lot was uh, nightmare right like we talked about in a bad way uh the master was a lot of fun of course yeah and then uh well we had uh Were- werewolf is cool yeah. i don't know about the series part but the, right. but the pilot movie is good yeah yeah the pilot was really entertaining and it was fun to look back at that time and and see right. what with a little budget what they did and yeah. made it kind of entertaining yeah i have to i i, I will, i'll jump on those those same likes yeah the rest you know you can flush street yeah. hawk and Oh. Viper, Jason of yeah. Star Command is actually was entertaining too. Like we yeah, said, yeah, yeah, no. in a, yeah. In you a, just get caught up in the rhythm of it, and right? The, you know, you're just like, okay, I'm with you for a while. Yeah. And the one thing that I will say that was a benefit to uh, watching Misfits and Science is Courtney Cox's beautiful face. Watching her use telekinesis, even though her telekinesis couldn't stop the fire. <laughs> <laughs> you
That was one. That was one uh, little issue that uh, Wiki couldn't save Jason Star Command from, <laughs> yeah. and that's cancellation. Cancellation. Yeah. <laughs> can't win them all, Wiki. It's a tough one. If Manimal can't do it, Werewolf can't do it, then Wiki <laughs> has a chance. But no chance at all. But anyway. Yeah, that's going to be our the end of our episode, delving into television shows that are just bananas. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway. Anyway, here we go. Wrap it up. So like uh, Jason of Star Command sitting behind the panel of his uh, starship with the, the one wearing the furry vest. Mm-hmm. I'm going to hit the button and end the episode. Okay. We'll just do it then. (laughs) All right. Yeah. Good night and good luck. Adios, knuckleheads.